There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Loki Season 2. This is bigger than the TV. This is about everything. Part of Now Playing's Avengers and Marvel Comics movie series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Us mightiest heroes. Hosted by Arnie. There is nothing you can do for him. He's lost to time. Jacob. Is this everyone? No, there's one more. And Stuart. We still glad we're here. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find reviews that span the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I can do this all day. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and mildly objectionable language. And guru. Whoa, language! Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. We hope you enjoy the show. Showtime, a-holes! Today we're discussing Loki, Season 2, starring Tom Hiddleston, Sophia DiMartino, special guest star Jonathan Majors, with Ki-Hui Kwan and Owen Wilson. Directed by Justin Benson, Aaron Moorhead, Dan Lu, and Kasra Farahani. I'm not the man you think I am. I'm Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. And Stuart. And I'm Don, but I guess Jacob is my podcast name? You're trying to sell me on a sweet sea aren't you? We're trying to sell you on the fact that we do TV series here at Now Playing. This wasn't supposed to happen. No, do not sell us on that fact. I don't want to be sold on that fact. This is the first time we've done a season two since we covered Twin Peaks. Uh, normally, we try to contain our reviews. Which was not now playing. That was separate. It was. <laughs> and again, we were tricked, as should be. If you're reviewing Loki, he should trick you. But we thought it was a self-contained six-episode miniseries. And in fact, I guess it was always the plan to have six more at some future date from 2021 when the show first premiered. Well, the original thought was... Let's do Loki, let's have it be one season and be self-contained, and then COVID hit. And they weren't able to tell the full story they wanted to tell in that six episodes. Oh. Due to filming delays and everything else. Is that what they're claiming? Okay, no, but that actually follows suit, because, I mean, I'll just jump to some of my end thoughts. Why couldn't this all be one season? The answer was COVID. Some of that is COVID-related. Yeah, that's what I had read, is that they had some COVID delays and they weren't able to tell the full story they wanted to tell. And so they decided, with Kevin Feige and all the higher-ups, let's do a season two of Loki, but not that Loki is going to be a continuing series. They have said, you know, there's not going to be a season three of Loki. This is just basically part two of what they started before, now finally being able to finish telling the story they were going to tell. Right. 
And that was two years ago. Yeah, 2021. That was, that, that was like the, the year of Disney Plus shows. That was when they all first hit. And I was really up on them. I really thought that they had done a good job with those first waves. And then, I don't know, these last couple. So bright-eyed and bushy-tailed two years ago, Stuart. Uh, yeah, I mean, She-Hulk, Ms. Marvel, Hawkeye. Those two were good. Yeah. <laughs> two of the three you named are the best two of three. <laughs> uh, to some, maybe. But yeah, I've had problems since. But I did like Disney Plus Marvel in 2021. Can Loki get back to that? Not a whole lot has changed with the two years on this show. We still have the same, you know, overall creator involved. Michael Waldron is still overseeing everything. But I noticed they did swap out directors. Last time, Kate Heron directed all six episodes. Now they got some guys with, I don't know, some indie sci-fi cred. I haven't seen their movies, but they are popular. The Endless, Synchronic, Spring. Oh, yeah, I've seen all those. Yeah, I thought you were a fan, Jacob. Yeah, I, I would probably recommend most of their films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but smaller indie weird sci-fi is right. Yeah, they're also the directors who did a couple of the episodes of Moon Knight, so they were already in the Marvel warehouse. Mm, one of the not good Disney Plus. Yeah, and I want to just emphasize, directors are less important in television. When you're a director, you come on and you work for the writers, you work for the showrunner, and so I don't know that you get to do as cool things as you can as a director of a movie. Yeah, and they're not the only directors. You're talking Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead who did those movies, but like I mentioned in the opening credits, they had a visual effects supervisor, Dan DeLu, who directed one episode and... Kasra Farhani directed an episode, so... Those were favors, and the lesser episodes. Four of these six episodes come from that directing team I spoke of. And then, yes, people that had worked behind the scenes on Marvel shows, they wanted to say, cut your teeth directing, we'll give you episodes two and three in this season. Mm, I'm going to stand by what I'm saying. Justin Benson, Aaron Moorhead are predominantly the directing force. If you can even tell, I don't know that I can see a directing style. It doesn't feel like we're in radically new creative hands uh, in 2023. No, it's the Disney plus Marvel house style here. Yeah. But another addition, obviously, and this one sounded like a really good fit. I smiled when I heard he had joined. Everything, everywhere, all at once feels like Loki universe. So that Kiwi Kwan winning his Oscar, this is his first post-Academy Award performance. That makes a whole lot of sense to me that they would find a place for him here in season two. Yeah, they got him after everything, everywhere, all at once, but before he had an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that's the perfect time to get him for a role like this. I didn't watch this series when it originally aired, but I remember hearing that, that he was in this and had forgotten about it and was so excited when he showed up on the screen because, yeah, it was a total new surprise because of my faulty memory. Yeah, I did watch this a little bit when it first aired. I watched the first two episodes as they came out and then I just kind of fell away. So this is my first time actually seeing the whole season for this review. Yeah, I watched it for the first time this week, uh, two episodes a night for three nights. Yep. That's what I <laughs> I did too. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's better in that way. I mean, I think TV, binging it is not always a great idea. I do it when I run out of time, but it's not always the best way to experience a long format story. But Stuart, you say not a lot has changed in the two years since season one. I could think of one thing. This is going to be starring a, a special guest star, as he's listed, that's no longer in the MCU, the, the, the Thanos of whatever phase we're in. He who will not remain, yes, is <laughs> Jonathan Majors. Is that his name? I've even yes. forgotten. It's been wiped from my mind. That guy that seemed like he was going to be so important to the future of all Marvel movies and TV shows is now... Yeah, maybe being pruned from the whole thing right here. I think he's been pruned. (laughs) It's all speculation. Nothing has officially come out except that he's been found guilty of being a trash human being and a woman abuser. Whether or not, you know, his defense is around it, he's been found guilty. And so what that means for his future in the MCU, wide rumors that the role will be recast Lesser rumors that they'll just ignore the character of Kang from now on and they'll move on with a different villain. Wait! I don't know how you do that. (laughs) In 2026, the big summer movie is Avengers the Kang Dynasty. It is being renamed, no matter what. Oh, okay. So Kang, I didn't even hear Kang in this, so he'll go by different names in the series. But yeah, I've never gotten a beat on Kang. He's popped up, what, in Quantum Mania and... I feel like there was a stinger in one of them where he was, uh, he was in a whole arena of Jonathan Majors chanting. That was still Ant-Man. Yeah, that was Ant-Man. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I haven't really understood what they were doing with Kang. So if he goes away, I probably wouldn't notice. I mean, he kind of dies in this one, right? Exactly. They have written here a way of explaining that the Kangs could be taken care of off screen. I mean, we'll discuss it, but yeah, Marvel. Let's face it, the Marvel's Stewart's prediction came true, lowest grossing Marvel movie in the MCU of all time. People aren't loving what's been coming out in Phase 4 and Phase 5, and now they have a villain problem. So, I don't envy the people in the executive suites at Marvel having to fix all of these problems. (laughs) They can have their jobs with a lot more stress. But it's good news that Loki is coming back. I want to just stress, I did re-watch the first season. It is still maybe my favorite, certainly one of the top two favorite MCU efforts that they put out there. I really, again, it changed the way I felt about Tom Hiddleston. I didn't like that guy. I certainly didn't like Loki in the original Thor, in the Branagh movie. I thought he was a really limp villain in a bad film. And, you know, they fixed him somewhat. To a degree, he became, while never threatening, at least sort of this impetuous prankster who was maybe, he was good for a punchline, but he wasn't very threatening. And then Loki comes along, and I actually care about him as a character. And and again, this is the gift of Disney Plus series. They can take some of those B and C stringers and put focus on them in a way that you suddenly are invested where you never were in the MCU movies. Did that work for Echo? We'll have to discuss someday. Mm, yeah, so we're not done with, with Disney Plus series by being done with Loki. But yes, we're finally getting back to it. It did premiere last October and ran through November. Arnie, you said you watched some of it then and not all of it. Yeah, what are the ratings or whatever we know about the viewership because like a lot of the later marvel disney plus stuff i don't hear anything about it till like the final episode this one never heard a thing about it disney has said that the first episode of loki season two 
was the second most watched season premiere for the service in 2023. Okay, a lot of qualifiers there. Yeah, only the third season of The Mandalorian debuted bigger than Loki season two. And take this for what you will, from Wikipedia, according to Whip Media... Never heard of it. Me either. Loki was the second most watched streaming original TV series of 2023. So big ratings compared to some of the stuff we've been seeing lately with Ms. Marvel and things that didn't get the views. Okay. Well, I mean, again, I I get that because I do feel like Hiddleston still, he could have probably have had a movie if he had wanted to. They could have made an MCU movie for Loki. It's kind of a special gift that he ended coming to Disney+. Plus. And you're telling me there will be no more. This is the end of his story. They are wrapping up Loki. I had some, you know, it was, they weren't extremely high hopes, but I was looking forward to catching up with this. I probably would have watched this show regardless, but I held on to it because I knew one day we were going to review it. And that day happened this week. Yeah, I didn't rewatch season one the way you did, Stuart, but I have watched it twice, once for our review and once as it aired. So I remembered it pretty well. I was not as hot on Loki as you were. Again, Hawkeye and Ms. Marvel are my favorite Disney Plus series, so... I liked Loki, though. I recommended Loki. I feel like I remembered it pretty well, so I trusted the opening recap at the beginning of Season 2 to catch me up. Like I said, I was excited enough for Loki Season 2 to start watching it, but not excited enough to keep watching it week after week when I started getting busy in November. Yeah, I didn't rewatch season one. I did watch it twice, once for our review, and then a second time our review after we canceled the first review and then decided to do it anyway. But yeah, I figured, I remember He Who Remains got like stabbed by Sylvie, the girl Loki, and they're going to try to save the TVA now because things are going crazy. Like, it had a decent cliffhanger. It stuck with me. What it felt like, that show, like week after week, it was like Loki. Loki thinking he had a grasp on reality and having that skin removed and something being underneath it. They had gotten down to the bottom layer where the guy who's in control of everything basically just says, we're all slaves to time. I mean, that was the way it kind of left me was like, there is this cosmic order, this loop, what sacred timeline, call it what you will, that we're all enslaved in and there's nothing they could do. I, I don't know. It was weird because in my mind, Kang is supposed to be some new Thanos But this guy just seemed more like the Wizard of Oz. Like they got into the Emerald City, pulled the curtain down, and they saw kind of a pathetic man shrug and say, yep, this is the reality. So what can they do? Yeah, but there was something to Kang that felt like, oh yeah, you could try to do what I'm doing, but you're going to fail. It's inevitable. I'm going to come back. And I figured that's how we get like Endgame 2 in another 10 years or something. But I didn't feel like that was the last we were going to see of Kang. It definitely felt like he knew something was up. Yeah, again, he's not even going by Kang. Yeah, his last line when they killed him is, see you soon, because what he was saying is, you can take my job and keep doing what I'm doing, or you can kill me, and in which case you will allow a multiversal war to happen where all the variants of me will come attacking, which is what we saw in Ant-Man, sort of. Yeah, I was trying to place Ant-Man with these, and I couldn't. I can't tie the other parts of Kang that we've had hinted at with what this character is in the series. And that remains. I wanted to say, even having watched the rest of the show, I'm not sure I can tie them. But let's get into it, Arnie. Give him the plot for episode 7 through 12 of Loki. When last we left off, 
Tom Hiddleston's iconic character of Loki and his multiversal variant Sylvie, played by Sofia DiMartino, had confronted He Who Remains, Jonathan Majors, at the end of time. Sylvie kicked Loki through a TVA portal so she could then kill He Who Remains. We saw Loki returned to the offices of the Time Variance Authority, or TVA, where, for some reason unexplained in Season 1, no one knew who he was. At the start of Season 2, we get an explanation as to why this is. After his encounter with He Who Remains, Loki is uncontrollably traveling through time, or time-slipping as they call it. He has arrived in the past at the TVA before anyone knows who Loki is. Throughout this first episode, we see Loki time-slipping to various points in the past and future in the TVA. He goes to Mobius, played by Owen Wilson, for help, and Mobius in turn takes Loki to meet TVA technician Ouroboros, or OB, played by Ki Hui Kwan. Through some machinations and technobabble, OB is able to stop Loki's time-slipping. We also find out that without He Who Remains in control, the timelines are branching uncontrollably, and there is infighting within the TVA on if they should continue to prune timeline branches or let those variants live. Then we go to episode 2, where Loki and Mobius are searching for Sylvie. Tasked with finding Sylvie was TVA Hunter X5, but X5 had gone AWOL, finding a new life for himself on the sacred timeline as movie superstar Brad Wolf. Loki and Mobius capture X5 and take him back to the TVA, where the Hunter eventually reveals Sylvie's location. The Loki variant had been living in an alternate branch in the timeline in 1982 Oklahoma, where she became a McDonald's employee. Loki and Mobius go to see Sylvie, who wants nothing to do with the TVA anymore. Meanwhile, OB has been working with the Temporal Loom, built by He Who Remains to protect the Sacred Timeline. All the new timeline branches are overloading the loom. To access the system, Obi needs help from either He Who Remains or He Who Remains co-conspirator, the animated clock Miss Minutes, who has disappeared. In episode 3, Mobius and Loki hunt rogue TVA Judge Renslayer. After trying to kill Mobius, Renslayer disappeared. It turned out she teamed up with Miss Minutes to try to restore He Who Remains to power at the end of time. To do this, Miss Minutes has Renslayer slip a copy of the TVA handbook to a 19th century teenage variant of He Who Remains, who goes by the name Victor Timely. This book shapes the course of Timely's life as he starts to invent machines that can impact time. Miss Minutes and Renslayer then travel a bit to the future to try to recruit adult Timely to return to power, but also looking for Timely are Loki and Mobius. As Timely is a variant of He Who Remains, Timely can help OB repair the temporal loom. With aid from Sylvie, Loki and Mobius take Timely back to the TVA, while Renslayer and Miss Minutes are sent to the end of time to see He Who Remains' dead body. In episode 4, Renslayer and Miss Minutes go to the TVA and try to take over. Meanwhile, OB, Loki, and Mobius are trying to prevent the loom from going critical. OB deactivates Miss Minutes, and Sylvie uses X5 to prune Renslayer. Then Timely goes to help OB fix the loom, but it's too late. The temporal radiation kills Timely as soon as he steps out of the protection of the TVA building. The loom goes critical and explodes. And we go to episode 5. Loki has survived the loom explosion as he started time-slipping again. Only now he's not just traveling through time, but through space and to different branches of the timeline. 
Each time he appears, he's with a variant of a TVA employee, be it jet ski salesman Mobius, escaped convict Casey, TVA hunter B-15, who is now a physician, or science fiction author OB. Loki works with OB, who says Loki should be able to gain control of his time slipping. Loki encounters Sylvie, who assists Loki in gathering together all the variants of the key TVA employees, but once again it's too late. The overloading loom is causing all of the variant timelines to be destroyed. Loki tries to implore Sylvie that the only way to save any reality is to prune the variant branches, but Sylvie argues that that is destroying free will. It is with these opposing viewpoints that we enter the final episode, episode 6. Loki has learned to control his time slipping and he goes back to the end of time in the moment where Sylvie killed He Who Remains. Loki tries to stop Sylvie from killing the Time Lord, but the only way to stop Sylvie is to kill her, something Loki refuses to do. He Who Remains says that allowing the branches to propagate will lead to a multiversal war of Kangs. Loki comes around to Sylvie's view that people should be given a chance to live their life, even if it means a war. Having tried countless times through time travel to repair the temporal loom, Loki realizes there is only one way to allow the multiverse to exist. Loki must do it himself. He destroys the loom, which starts the destruction of the variant timelines. Loki then grabs the timelines and, using his magic, brings them back to life. Loki has rearranged all of existence to where he is the source of life for all timelines. He is now a living version of the temporal loom, but it's a sacrifice that means Loki spends eternity alone at the end of time. After this, we see the TVA has changed. They have a war council preparing to counter the invasion of the Kang variants, but Mobius has decided to quit his job at the TVA and go live a quiet life on some timeline, and Judge Renslayer is not dead, but wakes up at the end of time as credits roll. Okay, well let's get into it. The first episode, yes, the predominant imagery we're going to talk about when thinking about time is threads, right? Strands. There is a loom that weaves time, gives it shape, and now Loki, because he's time slipping, does this creepy special effect where he turns into these stringy, distended versions of himself. And it's a, it's a nasty habit that Mobius wants him to stop doing. Yeah, this took me a bit by surprise the first time I watched it, because you keep seeing Loki with the special effect happening around him and things, and you're not quite sure what's going on. And what I thought is he was hopping between different multiverses, that he was on different branches of the timeline each time. But it's not that, he's always on the same branch, or I guess they say the TVA exists outside of time, so there are no other branches of the TVA but he's able to go back and forth in time at the TVA. And why is he doing this? All right, my biggest complaint about this entire season is it is so full of technobabble. Having watched the first couple episodes a couple of times and then watched the rest of it once, there is so much said about temporal auras and timelines and looms, but all I could get is that because of... Sylvie kicking him through that door at the end of time that she did when she decided to kill He Who Remains, 
it has now caused Loki to start time slipping. But it also is hinted that maybe he who remains somehow gave him those powers. Like, he's like, oh, like, later on in, when they talk again, he's like, oh, you've only mastered it this much. I thought you'd be further ahead. So I'm like, did he who remains? Because this is called Ouroboros. It's the snake eating its tail. It's all about things looping and setting itself up in impossible ways. So, yeah, I was, I was trying to figure that out. And I don't know. It seems like he who remains had something to do with it. He definitely claimed that he says i set you on that path but that's that's his stance on anything and who knows if that's even true how would we test that if it's not yeah exactly but i'll go with it here's the thing about loki or at least the first six episodes of loki i didn't really need to quote unquote understand it i'm fine with surrealism i like terry gilliam if you just want to do madcap things that kind of spoof bureaucracy in the modern world in a fantastical way that's fun for me. I don't need to, to have it have an actual science-based reasoning. Uh, I think this season, it does get a little bit more tripped up on having to justify why things are happening. And I do feel like, yes, a lot of times the characters have to turn to the screen and go blah, 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 when I just rather be in the weirdness of it. I agree. My biggest complaint about this season is that they are spending a whole lot of time trying to explain why using physics terms plus made-up terms that I don't understand when I want to know why from a character viewpoint. I want to know mm -hmm. what's impacting the people, not what's impacting temporal auras and looms. So we want the science why, and we also want the fiction why in, the, in terms of this series, as we'll get into. And I'm right there with you guys. There are so many times where I just, I'm scratching my head. I don't really know what the stakes are, like what they're babbling on about. I'm just going with the vibe, with the flow. Am I enjoying these characters? Because yeah, there's so much thrown out and I just it doesn't make sense to me maybe I need a groundhog day myself for hundreds of years like Loki does to understand this but it's definitely a barrier it doesn't help yeah but to your point Jacob what is helping are these performances Tom Hiddleston he could probably sleepwalk and play Loki but also Owen Wilson who just has this very quiet dignity as Mobius and things the performers in here we haven't even gotten to Kihi Kwan yet and I'll hold on that but I will say that these actors are given very unfortunate jobs with the dialogue that they have to say, and they do it admirably, because I feel invested in the episode, even if I'm scratching my head somewhat. Yeah, I agree. Like, Owen Wilson, I feel like he's given more dramatically later on to do, and yeah, I just, I enjoy him more than I remember enjoying him in the first season. But in terms of stakes, I do want to dig into that, because one of the things they do early on is they, they're exposing the fact that he who remains created all of this and that you know sometimes loki will pop into the reality that everyone else is and tear away a secret timekeeper's mural and show that it has jonathan major's mural faces instead is that supposed to be threatening just to put very bluntly am i supposed to be scared of this guy because i think the series spends a lot of time twisting the idea that he's a villain i don't fear him in the way that i do thanos yeah, for me, whatever the threat is, I, 
kind of understand it, but it feels very abstract. Abstract's a great word. Yeah, like Jonathan Majors, we don't like him because he has giant statues of himself. And that seems like idolatry and someone that's pompous and yeah, maybe a dictator. But what he does that's so awful, I can't pinpoint. He picks and chooses who's going to live and die with these different branches. And not just on a one-on-one level, but on a billions of people level. He was pruning branches to stop variants of himself, but every time you pruned a branch, you were killing every being that existed in that entire timeline, not just on Earth, but keep in mind we've got space planets and all the people in the Guardians of the Galaxy worlds and all of that. All of those beings were being killed every time a timeline branch was pruned, and he was the mastermind behind this atrocity, is the word they're going to use for it. Mastermind or just a slave to it? I almost feel like he is the thing that, did he create it or did it create him? You know, as you talked about Snake Eating Its Tail, I I don't get the sense that he's an evil guy that plotted all this. And then, this is just a small quibble, but you say that, like, all these other timelines, everyone dies. Guess what? Everyone dies in every timeline. Like, he's... (laughs) Not really that, yeah, I could die in another reality because it's crushed into a mulcher or pruned, or I could just die here. But it's about having the will to make that choice. And in this situation, someone else. I understand, Stuart. It's all very abstract. I like a lot of the debates that I think are going on subtextually here. But yeah, it's all very abstract and hard to sink your teeth in. Yeah. I think that this one isn't one for the young ones. Even if they like Loki and think he's funny, I think this movie lives in its head a lot more. And I do think that, yes, forget all of the other problems of logistics. This is a debate about do we have free will and shouldn't we? I think that's how I best understand it is giving people an opportunity to choose their own destiny as opposed to making them enslaved to time and a predestined course of life. I think that's the big theme. And then again, when we get later on with Sylvie and Loki, I think one of the other major themes of this series is, yes, our system sucks. How do you go about reform? Do you burn that down and just hope something else better rises up? Or do you have to have a plan in place before you start that revolution? So I I think there's, again, interesting ideas here, but they're very abstract. Yeah. And at the get-go, they make it seem like if you look underneath that Kang or He Who Remains or Victor Timely, whatever you want to call him, is underneath it. They make that seem like a really ominous thing that goes away from me. I just want to just point out, I feel like that character, by the end of it, I'm not even paying attention to him. Yeah, let me explain kind of my expectations when season two premiered and the reason why I stopped watching. I felt like season one took a while to really get moving but when we finally got to he who remains at the end it teased such big things and it Mm -hmm. was such a climax to it they'd gotten to the end of time and found all those loki variants and finally killed he who remains and he's like you have just started a multiversal war see you soon And so now that is a cliffhanger for me. And yes, why do these people not know Loki comes as a little tail on the end of that. But coming back, I'm like, okay, Kang just said you started a multiversal war. The timelines are going crazy. I came back expecting a follow-up on that. I expected season two to be much bigger 
than it is and much bigger than season one. I expected it to get into this council of Kangs and have them actually be showing up the way it was threatened. And so the fact that this entire first episode focuses on Loki time slipping was such a letdown for me. It was so blue-balling compared to where I thought we had left this series. I mean, there's the big mystery. Why doesn't anyone recognize Loki? And like five minutes in the episode, oh, you just you just time-slipped to the past before he met you, and now you're here with us. So that mystery's over. Like, yeah, it, and comic books do do this a lot. They end with great cliffhangers, and then they get resolved a lot of times in very unsatisfying ways because we got to make the B-plot the A-plot now. All right, and let me just understand because you're right that is absolutely what that man said at the end of the first season i'm going to see you soon meaning there's hundreds thousands millions of me coming yeah you're gonna fight my variants soon they are in existence but the reason why is because the tva has stopped pruning branches correct and so now there are all these other realities and in every single one of them there is a victor timely whatever you want to call it, a jonathan majors who will be destined to take over? I presume in every single reality, he will become a Thanos and thus create a multiversal war because there's so many of him in so many timelines. Yeah, they all discover time travel and try to manipulate time and run into each other and start this fight. Right. Okay. But none of that will happen here. And maybe that's a setup for the Kang Dynasty or some movie down the way. But yes, if those are your expectations, curtail them severely. <laughs> this is mostly about a mulcher that has got clogged. They have a loom that is supposed to eat branches and it can't handle how many time branches are going into it. And most of this season is devoted to how we can fix that clock. I know it is maddening, but to introduce us to the concept of all of this we do get my favorite thing in loki season two ouroboros or ob with kihui kwan playing that role when mobius doesn't know what to do with time slipping loki he takes loki to meet ob and man kihui kwan is bringing the same energy here he brought to everything, everywhere, all at once, and I am loving every minute of it. He's just, he looks so happy to be there. Yeah, I'm right there with you. When he's on the screen, I am smiling, not because the episodes are getting all of a sudden better. Maybe they are getting better. Like, he's just a better presence to be around. He's enthusiastic. I'm jaded with Marvel at this point, but he's excited, so I'm excited. It's contagious. Uh, I'm going to dial it down a little bit. Yeah, I like that he's here. Like I said, I liked everything, everywhere, all at once. He was the heart of that movie for me. I'll yes. just go ahead and say, I saw that movie a year before he won the Oscar, and he was the thing I was talking about. So it was so happy happy that he ended up being a feature that was you know everyone in that ended up winning but but he was rewarded with something i was really satisfied here i feel like it's kind of a victory lap he's kind of doing the same sort of you know in the same way that that character would pop up in front of his wife and speak a bunch of gibberish and guide her through a bunch of nonsense that's kind of what he does here he does a lot of double speak what he's down in the bowels of the tva and there's all these pneumatic tubes where people send him problems and he just takes like a hammer to a microchip and sends it back and he has been alone trying to solve all these little details for centuries Stuart you how you described him in 
everything everywhere all at once is exactly how I feel about him in that film and this one. Like, yes, he, like, whenever all the science or the plot just gets too bogged down, he's there to just lighten the mood for a few moments, say Mm -hmm. some things in a funny way and, like, disappear. And so, yeah, maybe that's saying more about this series that I feel like I need that kind of comic relief in this. I agree we need the comic relief, but my God, do I wish that he had better lines to give us because almost everything he says you know lavar burton is looking at this guy going that's some gibberish (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that's all i really want to say is like in the end that character broke my heart in everything everywhere at once i don't think he has a chance to really be a character i think he's doing his shtick from that popular movie and it helps this series that he's doing it but it doesn't feel particularly new or nuanced or different. You can get a better version of this elsewhere, is I guess my point. Yeah, believe me, Loki Season 2 would have been improved if there was a variant branch of the timeline with hot dog fingers. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing to dial into. This will largely stay in the TVA this time. Last time I felt like we were jumping all around, and maybe that was... To its detriment. Maybe that was too much. We couldn't expect them to every episode go to some new wild place. But uh, there will be no Loki alligator. There will be less of the madcap, anything can happen, hot dog fingers, kind of, you know, throw it at the wall, Dada surrealism that kind of was fun about the first season. They have a chance to show that giant, like, smog cloud dragon at the end of time that they showed us in the first season, and they do not. And, like, it is then that I realized, I'm like, oh, there's been a lot of just scenes in office buildings or rooms. Like, Mm -hmm. you're right. This feels like Disney all of a sudden said, oh, maybe this isn't the cash cow we thought it was. We got to dial back that budget. Yeah, and I missed it. It's probably necessary that they focus. I don't want to say it's a mistake, but I miss feeling like anything could happen next. This one, again, I I look at it as a clogging problem. It's a plumbing problem. They've got this machine that's stuck and they need to widen a hole to accommodate something. And that's, that is the focus. And yes, OB seems to understand that. He's the one that guides all the characters to this control room where they're going to spend a whole lot of time. And you're looking out at a space loom that, yes, just can't handle all these new multiplying branches of a timeline going into it but at this point they're not worried about the temporal loom overloading but there's some machinations that have to happen in order to stop loki from time slipping and they've got to get mobius to go out and walk on the do the spacewalk to uh temporal aura extractor don't try don't try (laughs) and Loki has to prune himself. Yeah, it's giving us excitement, even if I'm not entirely sure what the stakes are here. I think they're trying to stop him from time slipping. Oh, that's why he prunes himself later. Right? He's trying to stop himself from time slipping, but it doesn't end up having that effect. He still will time slip after this happens. But not for several episodes, so it stops it for a while. Yeah, it lets him stabilize it. (laughs) Okay. Yes. So again, here's what I appreciate about this. Yes, as plot, maybe they're just stalling. But seeing Owen Wilson put on that bulky suit and try to walk down a gangplank. Great visual. 
yeah, just as a Charlie Chaplin-esque physical comedy bit with him dragging that big hose and trying to lift this heavy device into this machine. That's all it needs to be. And in fact, I wish there were more of those kinds of moments in season two. Yeah, again, it's reminding me of Terry Gilliam's Brazil in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if this was a shaggy dog story with a Terry Gilliam fur, yeah, I'm down for that, just to, for the weirdness and the absurdity, especially when it's a TV show. It's, it's 45 minutes once a week. Yeah, that could work. Right. But going on, we also have all these other supporting characters, and there seems to be, there's a new character, one I do not remember from season one, and I just watched it, but this... General Dox, who is taking all the Minutemen, giving them weapons and sending them through time doors, we hear the idea that she is hunting for Sylvie. And we briefly see Sylvie in this kind of nicely surrealistic moment where Loki, right before he prunes before her eyes, she pops her head out of those golden elevators that took you up to see the timekeepers. The phone's ringing. It's, it's a nicely atmospheric moment of weirdness that makes you go, what's going on here? Where is Sylvie? That is the focus of the next episode. Finding out where she is. The tease is, we already know She's in Oklahoma in 1982 in a McDonald's. Yeah, this was a surprise. Not that she's in Oklahoma at a McDonald's, but Sylvie, like, I felt like that was a big part of Loki. And all of a sudden, like, yeah, she's barely in this episode. Her biggest part is in a mid credit scene at McDonald's. And I love it. I mean, I don't mean that even as a ba 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 ba. Oh no! <laughs> I just like I just want to say I'm old enough to remember my first memories of McDonald's going to one are in 1982. I remember when Chicken McNuggets were brand new, when that yes. was a yes. new feature that they put up there, and you could get the different sauces. That's all I got. Mm-hmm. It was very exciting to just kind of live in this idea. I could see why she'd be seduced. I could see why this time-weary Loki variant might want to stay here for a while. Well, Stuart, you should have gone to New York then because McDonald's actually, as part of a tie-in with the series, oh, they <laughs> remodeled one of their stores and the doors on it looked like TVA doors mm. and you walked inside and it was a 1982 McDonald's for three different days. 1982 prices? Yes. Really? Really? They had one meal that was at 1980s prices. Oh, that's it. Oh, okay. A couple hours, you're saying. A couple <laughs> hours, we'll have a profit loss to get a whole bunch of people excited <laughs> to come here. <laughs> but yeah, this was a tie-in. According to the showrunners they decided that they wanted to use mcdonald's and then approached mcdonald's and are like well what about a tie-in and they did a special mcdonald's does this it's crazy but like people go nuts you know how people are right now nuts for stanley cups i don't understand it but I, someone has told me this yes well people also go nuts over extremely limited mcdonald's mcnugget sauce variants <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah that's a big deal I, wow, I, I feel like this is his own show, so I won't ask follow-up questions, but what the F? Okay. <laughs> but, you, Stuart, do you remember in Springfield, they was one of the original McDonald's, and it was on MacArthur Road, to get real specific for our Springfield listeners. Mm-hmm. It's closed now. Yeah. 
It is closed now, but it only closed like in the 20 teens. And it still looked like this mm-hmm. 1980s McDonald's mm-hmm. she goes to. <laughs> and I had gone to that McDonald's so much as a kid that I'm having the same nostalgic vibes of looking at those uniforms and my modern sensibility being like, wow, they were dressed so drab, but yet it's really grabbing the child in me that they have gone back to my childhood McDonald's with this. And it doesn't feel totally random because McDonald's used to boast. I don't think they do anymore, but they used to boast on their signs how many millions and billions have been served by this product. You would see it go up over the years. It was crazy. Right. And and I think that's also something to keep in mind here, that as they're working to find her, millions and billions of people and timelines are being destroyed. There's a huge, this is probably the biggest body count of any Marvel movie ever. We don't <laughs> see any of that. But again, if you, if you think about it in, you know, just abstract, I like that word that you used it before, but yeah, in an abstract way, yeah, so much death is happening. Billions are being served and she's just hanging out in McDonald's. <laughs> Why has she given up? What is her story? That is the focus of episode eight, Breaking Brad. That's sort of the focus. I mean, it's that how I focus that episode. We had this character who was around in the first season. X5 was there in the background, but I sure didn't pay attention to him. But they he was sent on a mission. He was told by Doc's Go find Sylvie where we know her to be at the Citadel at the end of time. And suddenly he's turning up in 1977 London as a movie star. Brad Wolf, is this something that I should know? Is this an Easter egg? Is this a joke of something? Zaniac? I feel like there's there's Marvel references here that I'm not getting. Yeah, so Brad Wolf, that is a reference to a guy who, like, turns into a monster man and, like, fights Thor. Maybe they're going to do that. Zaniac is a reference to Doctor Strange, like, Dormu, the, the, that demon god thing he fights at the end of the first film. It's an entity that that sends to destroy Earth. So there's references here. Hmm. I knew it had to be because it felt so specific and it wasn't satirizing anything I could think about in 1977. I'm like, this is, as far as I know, like no movie out there. That's funny because I had no idea that it had a Marvel reference. I was thinking, first of all, it looked a little like a werewolf movie, but the logo was reminding me with the green colors, a little bit of Zardoz. Yes. <laughs> Maybe they're going for that. Again, it's, I, I'm not quite sure. If they're satirical targets, I'm not quite sure what they are here. But the point is that we we start with the chase scene. You know, got to get people excited. New episode, get them hopped up. Loki can run. Loki can chase this guy down. <laughs> when he uh, doesn't want to tell them what he knows about Sylvie. And they'll even have to drag him back to the TVA and put him in a torture device, this strange box-squeezing thing that they've got to try and get him to admit what he did with Sylvie. I was wondering why Loki was chasing this guy. I'm like, we've seen Loki make duplicates of himself and do all these things. Why does he have to run? And he eventually will use magic powers to capture him and some shadow play. I did like the shadows that had the big horned helmets that actually capture Brad that were, you know, you see Loki, he's always dressed in a nice suit. But when you see his shadow, he's wearing that king's helmet that he wore briefly in Thor 1 and in Avengers. It's helpful because I I sometimes forget on this show that he has magic powers so much is weird and going on around here <laughs> i forget that he can make things float and do things like that so this scene is just helpful to remind me oh right he's a superhero 
as well. And he doesn't need a torture box, frankly, uh, to squeeze this guy, but he does. And why is he holding out on Sylvie? I don't think I quite track why he's afraid to tell them she's at McDonald's. Because he doesn't want to stop being an actor? I, I feel like everything we're seeing is, oh, if you gave the TVA employees free will, a chance to be on the timeline, that's what they would actually want. At least that's going to be Sylvie's argument, and I think we're, that's why we're seeing it with Brad. Maybe they made that deal? Yeah, he may have even made that deal. He, he made that deal with her? I'm going to go be a movie star. You go live your life. I live mine. Okay. It's not stated that they made a deal, but I get the impression he just wants no part of the TVA. He also knows, because he was working closely with Docs, that she is working on this plan on blowing up every timeline. That she is sending those people to blow up everything. And so when they're at McDonald's, he's waiting for that bomb to go off, right? He wants to go back to the TVA because that's the only place that's safe, I think. But his anxiety, this character, and I'll just go ahead and extrapolate. A lot of the supporting characters I don't track this season. I don't really understand what makes them tick. I think that they do a pretty good job whenever they focus on Loki, but I don't really get X5 and this whole acting thing, other than just the obvious, I want to be famous kind of thing. I don't know why they're doing it. They're going to make this big deal about having to round up the team later on, and I get like Mobius and even OB, but yeah, like Casey or Hunter. Yeah, why these other characters? Yeah. Mm-hmm. B-15? Yeah, I and I feel like this character gets lost. Do we even know where he winds up? Does he get killed? Did I miss something? He just drops out of the show at a certain point. Yeah, I think we don't see him after episode four, do we? He's mind-controlled by Sylvie, and then I don't recall seeing him again. He prunes Renslayer. He's the one that's going to join Renslayer when they take out Docs and the rest of them. Yeah, and then he gets changed. Right, but after Renslayer leaves the show... I mean, we'll get, we'll get there when we get there, but I definitely get the sense that, like, some of these characters that they're saying are a family and a friendship really don't count. No, I feel like he's supposed to be a joke every once in a while. Okay. He is the reason why they find Sylvie, and Sylvie is the thing I care about. One of the best things about season one was the fact that Loki fell in love with a woman or himself, depending on how yes. you want to slice it. <laughs> I like Sylvie a lot, so I'm glad we're finally getting back to her. And, and Stuart, I thought it was funny earlier you said she's looking like she doesn't care here, and I, I thought literally it looks like she's in a bathrobe this entire series. Like, her costuming looks like just a green robe. I don't know if that's accurate to me. <laughs> McDonald's uniform of the time, but... I don't think so, but yeah. she's a god. She can do what she wants, I guess. Yes. I think she likes the quaintness of living in Oklahoma, having a pickup truck, having a simple job, you know, fast food manager, or, or maybe she's just even a cashier. I think that her life is... I'm extrapolating here, because I don't... Again, tracking these characters is not easy for me. I think that she's just spent, and it's nice to live a real life after having run through the craziness. And again, she also resents that He Who Remains created all these other timelines, that he made it complicated. Well, he didn't create the timelines. He was killing the timelines. The timelines were happening on their own. He Who Remains? Yeah. Yeah, He Who Remains didn't create timelines. He destroyed them. But his army comes from all the different timelines. Correct. Okay. Well, let's not dig too deep. But they're all him discovering time travel. It's But what we learned about 
Sylvie in season one is that she was discovered to be a variant as a child and has spent her entire life on the run. So what we're seeing with her at a McDonald's is that this was the first time probably in her life that she's been able to have a life and not just run from apocalypse to apocalypse, which is the only place where she was able to hide from the TVA. Yeah, that's the important part. She's only lived in apocalypses, so it makes sense why 1982 Oklahoma would seem nice. Yeah, yeah, I relate to it even because I feel like after 11 years in LA, it was nice to move back to board. <laughs> Springfield like you saying this is like living in the apocalypse out here well I just I mean it, it's simpler it's true it's where I live now is much it's you know traffic in so many ways my life doesn't have the stress that it did and so I kind of connect with her on that idea and she seems to hold a lot of resentment what I don't track as much she never really was in love with Hiddleston the way that Hiddleston was in love with her but she seems to really hate him they're gonna totally downplay his feelings towards her this season though you would not know they had feelings based on this season none yeah, I, I missed that. But just to track her, she hates him because he is siding with the TVA. That she wants to destroy the TVA, in part because they've made her life hell, and in part because they'll create he who remains, at least, you know, maybe you can work up to that theory that they're responsible in some way, and he believes they're the best option of fighting he who remains. So even though he doesn't love the TVA, he's laughed at them, I think he is more or less on their side and working with them uh, voluntarily by this point. And he's on their side because he still wants to protect the sacred timeline? Mm, I, again, what I heard was if all of these variants are coming, this is the best infrastructure. There are Minutemen. There are people with weapons. There are people that can move through timelines with time pads. These are the people best equipped to stop the real evil is the way I understand it. Yeah, there's a lot of nebulous character motivation that goes on in this for me that, you know, I just, I wish the show was more adept at explaining its characters' emotional states than it was at explaining temporal anomalies. Yeah, that seems <laughs> to be what I most miss about this second season is that we've moved away from the characters that I thought were interesting and in developing relationships and now more focused on explaining gibberish, which I, again, I'm not even scientifically minded. I, I can accept that people are smarter than me and understand things I never will. And so I, I, I only want the fiction part. I don't want the science part of the story. And I'll say at the moment, I'm into this. How are you going to solve these problems that I nebulously understand that are going on? But it's going to be a real kick in the balls once I realize later what is going on. And Loki's going to say, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, yeah, none of this stuff does matter. Maybe that's why we're struggling with it, because the writers knew none of this is going to matter. This is all just spinning the wheel so they could get six episodes. Put a pin in that. We'll, we'll talk about that when it's relevant. My complaint just with episode two and it's the complaint i'm always going to say i think when it comes to disney plus shows when it's time to do a big action scene they just can't do it they don't have the stunt people they don't have the money we have what's supposed to be this epic stop general docs from blowing up all these timelines and all of a sudden they're just in a dome or something and a couple of you know martial artists are kicking each other and it's over like that was the big time 
rebellion? Did you even notice it? I didn't think that was supposed to be huge. I thought it was supposed to be scaled down because it was only a handful of TVA people involved. I didn't think this was supposed to feel climactic. It certainly didn't feel climactic. If it's not supposed to be exciting, why do it? Yeah, and it feels like General Dox is supposed to be some kind of big bad with this rogue army of TVA employees. Yeah, I definitely feel like in this episode, she is the threat. She is the thing that is horrifying everyone because she is going to murder millions and billions by making this choice. If you're not pruning the timelines, I will make her, you know, maybe a sympathetic villain, but at least an aggressor to our main character. And thus, they should have a battle that's worthy of that or not do it. It's one or the other. And all I can say is it's a really limp conclusion that they suddenly just stop and throw this older lady, she doesn't physically look like much of a threat, into the prison and say, well, that's it. I mean, that was easy. I guess that's what <laughs> my, my reaction to this is like, if this were supposed to be an episode about stopping docs, that really, again, ends up being a non-issue. Yeah, it doesn't feel like the episode is about anything specific. I mean, you say it's about finding Sylvie, but I feel like Brad gets more time in this episode than Sylvie does, and Docs feels tacked on at the end after you find Sylvie. So it's kind of a scattered episode that I didn't really click to. And notice, this is the episode where I jumped off when I was watching the first time. I saw this episode (laughs) and was like, yeah, this wasn't what I had hoped Loki season two would be. Now I'm going to judge it for what it is, not what I hoped it would be, but it didn't get me to come back for the third episode. Yeah. But in the background, our favorite new character, Kiwi Kwan, has been running around saying, we're all going to die, we're all going to die. And what he's talking about is, while he's been working on the loom problem, there are doors he has to open that can only be opened by either he who remains, who was killed by Sylvie, or this animated clock, Miss Minutes, and nobody knows where she, or a character I had even forgot was in the first season until I rewatched it, Ravona Rensley. I gotta say, Stuart, it's not just any doors. I, I gotta correct you. It's the blast doors that won't open. One of, I gotta figure, like, many 80s references. I know later they're gonna do the whole, like, scale model speech from Back to the Future, but, like, it does feel like he's here to make 80s references. I guess because, you know, Temple of Doom and Goonies, like, that is his fame from the 80s, but I thought that was funny when he kept referring to blast doors. I went to Star Wars every time. Yeah. So the good news about this Doc's upheaval is that they destroyed 30% of the time branches, and that sort of cuts down on the white noise. Casey, the secretary, is able to now track where at least Ravona is. And we have an episode three, which is about chasing her and the clock. I love the start of episode three. You know, every episode starts with that Marvel Studios logo. But they do this one in old-timey music. Ragtime. Yeah, ragtime music. 1893. (laughs) Yeah, a ragtime piano. Mm Mm-hmm. It made me smile. You know, they play with these opening logos uh, quite a bit on the TV shows to try to keep it mixed up. And so hearing that familiar tune in ragtime style made me smile. Okay, and you've mentioned snake eating its tail as a dominant metaphor here, Jacob. That is really apparent when we realize that he who remains, part of the reason why he was so nonchalant about Sylvie killing him, is that he knew that he had set up Ravona and Miss Minutes to go back in time and provide himself with the TVA manual that would allow him to become who he was. He will, in fact, be reincarnated because... 
they're going to go back to 1868 Chicago and hand this little boy who's doing some kind of science experiment a TVA manual that he supposedly wrote. I remember that Renslayer like turned and ended up being bad. Did that happen with Miss Minutes in the last season as well? Because that was a real twist to me that all of a sudden this funny animated clock was one of the main villains here. Yeah, she turned evil and then disappeared. Okay, I did not remember that. (laughs) I'll be brutally honest. I don't remember Ravona much in it. I remember she was mostly the love interest, I thought, for Owen Wilson. And why she tried to kill him, I didn't even, when I rewatched it, pay attention to that very much. Because I was hoping she wasn't in the show. (laughs) And by this episode, I thought she wasn't going to be. And now I'm like, oh, crap. I'm going to have to track this character now. I don't know. I don't know who she is. I don't know what she wants. I never understand this character. She's definitely one that I just shrug and go, oh, whatever. She wants he who remains to be in power. Yeah, I guess she had something with he who remains. Yeah, because she wants to be in power with him. She does. Yeah, she wants to be ruling by his side and Miss Minutes. So it would be like a triumvirate. Why? Because she's power hungry. Did she always know that? Because I thought she believed in the Chuck E. Cheese timekeepers that were exposed. She did. But then Mobius showed her the truth of it. And then she went off and teamed up with Miss Minutes is what we're going to find out. And Miss Minutes knew the truth all along because she was he who remains Siri, his personal assistant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll just go ahead and say I really like Miss Minutes. Always have. I just like it just as a piece of art direction. The idea that we have this, like, uh, I don't know what era. It feels like almost like a 50s kind of uh, drawing of a of an interpretation of a clock. Uh, but it always reminds me of let's all go to the lobby or something like that. When you see these anthropomorphic uh, creations from the 50s, she kind of becomes this yeah devil on the shoulder that she's tempting Ravona to do things that I don't see the character motivated to do. You're helping me by saying she wants power because... I don't read that from any of her scenes here, but she goes along with Miss Minutes when Miss Minutes says, this is what he who remains wants. Drop it through the window, and then in 20 years or so, he's going to have the beginnings of the time loom. He is going to be making the things that will create the TVA. And this was a teaser at the end of Loki season one, as we saw Victor Timely discussing time up there on the stage at the Chicago World's Fair and we saw Loki and Mobius were going to be in the audience so that was something we knew was coming that it takes to episode three to get there was a bit of a shock and I think my memory is when we discussed this the first time around I kept equating Victor Timely with He Who Remains with Kang I mean they're all the same character at least in the comics but yeah I think they are telling us that He Who Remains that could be different than Kang and it's definitely different than I think think Victor Timely, he's just going to be referred to as a variant here, one that he needed to start himself. I relate very much to Owen Wilson in this scene because when we saw it as a tease, the guy is standing in front of a machine that's creating lightning and I'm thinking Frankenstein, I'm thinking scary. (laughs) And now in context that we've had this goofy World's Fair and, you know, it's been kind of fun as someone that had lived in Chicago for 11 years, it's just fun to see Chicago of the World's Fair, you know, that's a a notable era for that city, but that he's this goofy, nutty professor, that there's nothing scary about him, that that Mobius is just like, the way you described him, I thought I would be afraid, but I'm not. 
And is that a problem that the main antagonist, maybe it's not. Maybe it's an interesting quandary that the person that they're so afraid of, of him becoming is nothing like the person he is now. For me, it creates a lot of tension throughout all these episodes that ultimately don't matter because, yeah, I'm like, when's he going to change? Like, there's going to be a turn at some point. And this is all going to be an act, like he's been in cahoots with himself the whole time. That never happens. He's just an innocent dude. I mean, maybe he's a little guilty because he's a con man, but like, no, he's not this evil he who remains. Now, it reminds me of like Terminator 2 when we, when they go back to shoot the scientist that would end up creating yes. Skynet. <laughs> and you find out he's like a nice family man. And like, uh, I didn't ask for any of it. Didn't, wouldn't have done it if he knew that this was his fate. This guy was just reading a book that fell through his window and making money you know and half of his inventions it should be said he has mechanical pants he has things that don't work that are just frauds that he's just a you know just a huckster trying to make a dime and not at all this evil trying to take over a time continuum a fearful person i guess that would be interesting if i could meet the scary guy I think the problem for me, Jacob, is we never meet the scary guy in this series. Agreed. Yeah, my question is, are they on the sacred timeline with Victor Timely? Is Victor Timely a younger version of He Who Remains? It, would Victor Timely actually discover time travel and become He Who Remains if allowed to go on unmolested by everybody else? Is this creating a paradox in which they're actually stopping he who remains from being created i think so i think we do have you know they have inner titles and i do believe that this timeline is identified as sacred timeline so yes this is just so yes what, what they do here could actually prevent all the other ones from existing i think is the way we are to understand it i don't know that it could stop all of them but it could stop he who remains from existing which could stop the TVA from existing. Yeah, which will allow a lot of timelines, as we'll find out. Yeah. We don't really know because there's so much between uh, he who remains creating the TVA that we don't know. We know that at some point there was a war, and then we're going to get some audio recordings and a little recording of him and Ravona Renslayer saying we did it together. But what they did, how evil it was, how to determine who did what and how Victor's role in it is very nebulous to the point of not worth me picking through. Yeah, I mean, this series is called Loki. And so what we're supposed to be focusing on is Loki, but yet they're teasing things that I find so much more interesting than Loki and those things that I want to know about these multiversal impacting stakes are left a lot unexplored so we can spend more time with Loki at the state fair. And to be fair, it's not Loki's job to do that, right? It was Quantum Mania's. It's the other movies. <laughs> the real movies. It was Phase 4, right? That did not, that dawdled when it should be setting up. And so now, yes, we, we have teases for someone that seems like they have a really interesting story to tell. And when they'll ever be able to tell it, particularly since the actor uh, that is you know, cast in this role may not be allowed to be in a Disney movie again because he's a criminal. It's frustrating. So yes, let's focus on Loki. Loki is here because he needs to get Miss Minutes back to the deck of the time loom so they can open those doors, the blast doors. Yes. And when they see that there is a guy that looks like he who remains, they think that's even better than trying to grab an animated clock who 
weirdly enough, is growing large and scaring people like a ghost <laughs> at the midway. It was funny. I mean, it's kind of crazy thinking, but yes, it's kind of funny when she turns into a giant ghost clock. Yeah, right. So they basically, long story short, they want to get Jonathan Majors back to the TVA so they can put his head in the lock and open the door. And so a lot of what's going on in this episode, there's a lot of moving parts. But to make it really simple, that's what Loki is trying to do here in the midway. And he has to fight Sylvie. She comes because she's still determined to kill him. She kills him here in the past. Did she not know he was here before? Has she been following them? How does she show up here all of a sudden? Yeah, I didn't track how she got there. She has her own tempad, so she can travel anywhere. But I didn't get that she was hunting down Kangs. She was pretty happy living at McDonald's. Yeah, if anything, she was more determined to go live that life. She had walked away from the TVA again after stopping the Docs Uprising. She was done, done, done. Don't bother me anymore. So the fact that she's now an assassin for... Kang or He Who Remains or any of his incarnations feels like something from a different show. This whole episode feels like something from a different show because at one point, Miss Minutes is going to give a speech about how she she always just wanted a body made by He Who Remains so she could, I don't know, be a lady and date him. And I'm like, wow, this is really bizarre. But then she's just going to get zapped real quick. I love it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can I just jump to this and say, if you're really not going to use Jonathan Majors, couldn't you just made this second season about the AI? Like, AI is so topical now, and I love Miss Minutes. And yes, the idea that she resents the idea that Ravona and Victor are falling in love as they're running around the World's Fair and, you know, people are trying to kill them. That That's always the recipe, right, for any kind of romantic screwball comedy is danger equals sex appeal. They're falling in love, and all this glitching hologram can do is watch that she has no material form to take. To me, I thought that was a really cool idea. That's such a different series, though. <laughs> I, but it could be. But my point is, if you knew, and I know they didn't know when they wrote this show, but if you knew you weren't going to use He Who Remains, this would have been a better way to go. Just make it about the AI versus the TVA, and you wouldn't need all of this fine Victor timely stuff. It would be cleaner. This entire second season feels really messy with its inclusion of all these characters, like you guys mentioned, with B-15, and all of a sudden Casey is important now, and OB has come out of the woodworks, and Miss Minutes, and Renslayer, and Timely. There's a lot of pieces in play here now yeah again i just want to side miss minutes she makes me laugh just the fact that she's both cute and menacing and now yeah we understand her pain that you know she the reason why she wants he who remains to come back makes sense to me i never know why ravona wants it other than we had some bad audio of, of him thanking her but it's a surprise to me to know she was power hungry and loved what they did in the time war because i don't get it but but Miss Minutes, I do get it. And I just love the fact that they dodge everything. They get away from Loki. They get away from the people that bought the faulty inventions. They hop on a boat because you can do that. I, on Lake Michigan, people may not realize this, but you can take a boat to Wisconsin from Chicago. I didn't realize that. It took me a second to realize because they said they're going to Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. 
People do it. Yeah. I'm like, but now they're they're on the ocean on a cruise. Yeah. I'm like, oh, those Great Lakes. They got to be on that Great Lake. You could definitely do that. And then at that time, that would have been a very, you know, there weren't automobiles. So, yeah, this is how people are going to get there. I love the fact that she dumps Ravona off the escape boat. You know, like she's just in the middle of the night, suddenly in the middle of the lake. And, yeah. The clock is going to make her move and try to seduce Victor. Yeah, it was, it was a funny moment when Renslayer gets dropped off the boat. You just, you see her fall asleep and then you see her in a boat that's plunging over the side as she's waking up, becoming a set adrift at sea as in a lifeboat as timely and Miss Minutes go away. You know, I'm not as enamored with Miss Minutes as you are, Stuart. I've always found the animated clock, I I thought it was great as a symbol of the TVA, but the more they gave it motivation and evil intent, the less I really went with it. But they draw some great facial expressions here of Miss Minutes as she gets upset with Renslayer and just these duplicitous facial expressions they draw for Miss Minutes. And Tara Strong does a really nice job with the voice there. So yeah, once again, I'm going with the performances and the design here and everything else. I think this show is looking great, even if I'm not entirely getting my hands around what everyone is trying to go for i think the next episode helps clear that up a little bit it has moments of greatness but again the action is always the problem this episode three ends with a big fight because you know they get to the wisconsin lab and who's fighting who and why i guess the big deal is that sylvie leaves it up for loki to handle victor even though she wants to kill victor to ensure he who remains doesn't ever exist she trusts herself or another variant of herself to do the right thing and it's a really good moment like you do want those blast doors open because if obi doesn't fix the loom everyone dies her mcdonald's dies there will be nothing at all so you have to let this guy live you can't i mean logic prevails here she doesn't kill him because that is in essence killing herself And she throws Ravona back to the Citadel, presumably like some kind of fortress of solitude. She'll be trapped there forever, (laughs) but it's not hard for her to come back to the TVA in the next episode. Next episode is titled Heart of the TVA. And yeah, we're going to find out the backstory between Renslayer and He Who Remains, as you mentioned, that they formed the TVA together and then He Who Remains betrayed her, said wipe her memory and just made her a regular TVA employee, a judge, instead of his co-ruler and he's still going to rule with Miss Minutes. Yeah, it's kind of like the Total Recall thing and I don't see why... You know, she had her mind wiped and she was a different person. Why she would go back to being evil or power hungry, however you want to categorize it. I don't see that turn. You don't see that turn, right? Ravona doesn't make sense. Does anyone like Ravona? I mean, she had that turn last season, which I kind of vaguely remember, but yeah. Did you like it? Did you connect with her? I mean, I didn't expect her to have such a big role in season two, Mm-mm. if that's what you're asking. No, I didn't pay much attention to her. No, I'm I'm literally just asking, do you like having this character around? I don't. No, she feels like a, a needed character here. I don't need her. Yeah, honestly, there feels like there's a lot of filler in these middle episodes. Mm-hmm. And she's it. I had read them say they didn't get to make the ending for Loki 
season one what they wanted to end for Loki the series. But it feels like when they're like, okay, make six more episodes instead of make two more episodes, they're like, okay, well, we left Renslayer as a bit of a cliffhanger. She had gone off into a door and to where she goes. But what they come up with for her to do, she's going to try to go back to the TVA and hold a rebellion so she can rule the TVA. She's going to work with that Judge Docs and try to convince her, yeah, let's prune branches and I'll be in charge. To be clear, she wants nothing different than what Loki wants, but she wants to be the one doing it. Yeah, she wants to be sitting in He Who Remains Chair at the end of time. So this is the power madness that I didn't see happen. And again, the fact that she's always accompanied by the clock, that even now she's partnered again with Miss Minutes, like, you don't need her. You just use the clock. You just get rid of this character. Do something else with this character. Kill her off. I mean, they do kill her off here. And so many people get pruned in this episode, starting with Docs. Yeah, I was sh- really shocked at how bloody this episode is for lack of a better word a a lot of the stuff that i feel like they made as filler for this second season is going to come to an end here they're going to take a lot of these subplots and honestly they're gonna prune them like bad branches they're gonna just (laughs) cut them off and all of the stuff we spent in episodes three and four looking at is going to be concluded. And I heard Jacob, the way you framed it is, it doesn't feel like a conclusion to them. It makes it feel like that they didn't matter, that we wasted time. Yeah, my feeling, even before I know the twist or the developments, whatever you want to call it, that we're going to get later on, I just felt like there was a lack of focus. Like, what is the central thesis? What is the tentpole that this plot is revolving around? It just felt like lots of noise coming in and out. I'm enjoying some of it, not enjoying other parts of it but it it didn't feel focused to me yeah it it felt like we got to fill things up and what's surprising to me is how little we're discussing loki in the loki tv (laughs) series we're discussing all these other things and the focus of these episodes has been loki the person we spent the most time with has been loki as loki goes from place to place and deals with these things we're talking about but we're not really talking about loki here i mean there was that moment in episode three where loki found at the world's fair a norse god display or diorama and he was left out of it and what we're seeing is an evolution of loki's character as these things happen and i am being taken on that journey with hiddleston the thing is what we have going separate here is character evolution and plot And the plot isn't making a whole lot of sense, and that's what we're talking a lot about. But Loki as a character is undergoing change as this goes on and as he hangs out more with Mobius. I think the reason why I'm not talking about Loki is that his problems are very pragmatic. We gotta clog. We gotta fix it. It's not like an internal who am I existential kind of thing. It's not even, like I said, the love story that he had with Sylvie seems to be gone. He doesn't have that passion for her. He's told by X5, you're obsessed with her, but I don't feel that anymore. No, anything romantic between the two of them seems left on the writer's room of season one. Yeah. So Loki's problem is everyone's problem. And that is, how do we stop this uh, loom from overloading and exploding? And, you know, that requires other characters. He himself needs to grab, right now, he's dragging Victor 
timely. They got the blast doors open. He puts his head in there. And now Victor Timely is working with OB to try and do something with the doodad. It's a doodad to go in the doodad that's going to make the loom open up wider. He has to put the doodad in another doodad that shoots the doodad into the big doodad to make it even bigger. Yeah, I forgot about the third doodad. Yeah. Yes. Right. So many doodads. (laughs) But I do love the interplay between Kihi Kwan and Jonathan Majors as Victor Timely and OB. I think the two of them in their mutual admiration society and the paradox that OB thinks Victor Timely created everything, but Victor Timely got it from the TVA manual that OB wrote. It is this paradox, and yeah, apparently he's a trash human being, but I think Jonathan Majors is giving a good performance here as Victor Timely. I kind of like his stuttering delivery of everything, and his I'm going on his journey more than Loki's as he is being whipped into the TVA and having all of this thrust upon him yeah i'm paying a lot of attention to jonathan majors because it feels like this is all a setup by he who remains to bring himself back into existence like i kept like if you had asked me what i was going to guess what would happen that was going to be it like this was all a setup to bring he who remains back and the fact that it's not that yeah like but i'm really into the performance he's giving because i'm waiting for this turn but i agree with you arnie like yeah when ob and timely are going back and forth i'm liking this stuff like there are moments that i'm really enjoying once i get over my disappointment about the fact that Jonathan Majors is not scary, I can appreciate his comedic nutty professor. It is very good. And he plays very well with Loki, with all the other characters. It's a shame that they're not going to be able to use him in the future, because I do think he can play multiple kinds of characters. He could have been fun to watch in all kinds of variances. And if this is all we get, yeah, it's good. It's a good comedic performance when I'm expecting something much more sinister. And while this is going on, yes, we have Ravona continuing to prune. That they go into that hold, and there's Docs, and Docs won't side with her. They recognize that they're the enemy, uh, even though she was going to blow up all those timelines. She doesn't want to support He Who Remains, or someone that would support He Who Remains. I think she just doesn't want to support a coup. But she started a coup. She was continuing to do what the TVA had always done. Hmm... I guess that's, yes, you're right. In her mind, she wasn't, she wasn't starting a coup. She was doing the day's business. You're right. And so this is someone that is going to disrupt that. And she would prefer to be squeezed in by that torture device. And everyone else would too, except X5, who still wants to be a movie star. And so he signs on. And then they go, and there's been this other Minutemen that's, I don't know, he's practically an extra. I think they call him D90, but he's been walking around. He takes Victor, because Victor is fascinated by the coffee machine, the hot chocolate maker. (laughs) He's the guard that gets pruned when uh, X5 comes and kidnaps Victor. And we have this, in the middle of the episode, standoff about who's going to have control of scientists. You know, I like that the TV show can take... Some quiet moments. You know, you can do in a TV show things that you can't do in a movie because you don't have the time. One of the things I actually smile about with the Loki TV show is its focus on food. Mobius is obsessed with pie, especially key lime pie. He has to go with Loki and have some pie in episode two. And now Mobius was talking about the hot chocolate machine and Victor Timely 
is all about this hot chocolate machine. It allows for little character moments that you'd never get in a movie, and I really enjoy that. But here's the thing. I was trying to tie it to the loom. You know, they're trying to solve this loom problem, (laughs) how to make it bigger. I thought the way he would adjust the flavor of the hot chocolate was actually going to be how they fix the doodad with the loom. But it really is just a non sequitur that he's obsessed with this hot chocolate maker. It's just a reason to have him not in the lab and kidnapped that they can do that. But kind of funny, sure. And just by the way, some good food advice. If someone serves you key lime pie and it's green, don't eat it because key lime pies are yellow. That is an artificial key lime pie. (laughs) I guess I've only ever, I'm never going to eat that stuff, but I've only seen fake ones then because yeah, they're always green. No, a good key lime pie is not green and it is delicious. (laughs) It is delicious. All right. Great culinary advice. But anyway, back to this episode and the fact (laughs) that yes, the one person that can save them. Although I think Obi's already fixed the problem, right? They don't really need Victor. They just don't want him to be in enemy hands. They're afraid that he could become he who remains. Well, they've opened the doors. I mean, they need someone to walk out the doodad, and he's the one that volunteers to do it. But they could get somebody else. Hell, Loki sure. has magic powers. Why he doesn't make it fly out there by itself, I don't know. Yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> but anyway, yes, I will give this movie that, that he is needed for part of the way that they're going to fix the loom. But they don't really need him specifically, and it just feels, I don't know, it's not a hot enough standoff to be really exciting that, you know, they have Victor Timely in some conference room, and Sylvie is going to enchant X5 and kill Ravona. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. My jaw hit the ground when that entire subplot is pruned. Renslayer is taken out by X5 so easy. She had made herself such a major villain so far in the past couple episodes, along with Miss Minutes, and she just gets pruned by Brad in episode four. I mean, she is so inconsequential. She's not even going to stick around to the climax of the series. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about, where it feels like, oh, yeah, none of this stuff matters. Like, we're just going to move this person somewhere else and do something else now. And let me offer this. Sometimes things are pointed in a certain way and suddenly they take a hard turn and it's nothing like what you expect and it's absolutely delightful to have the rug pulled out from underneath you. You're shocked, amazed, and blown away by the gall and the creativity of doing that. And then sometimes they just do it and it makes you go, yep, there was no point to this character. We did not need her in this story. (laughs) Yeah, and the thing was, I was going along with this even though I had these feelings like oh does this stuff really matter oh we're just gonna get rid of that character because it's a time travel story we've seen things looping in on itself things being set up in the past i'm like oh maybe there's like some grand design here again he who remains is gonna have this grand design for his return and like it's all gonna make sense while it's so scattershot this whole time nope never does yeah it is a true mistake that they don't have a scary variant for Jonathan Majors. They just, they need one in these last couple episodes, particularly when they take out Miss Minutes. That's the one I'm mad about. Like she briefly takes over all the temp pads and you tell me what happens. I hear Obi saying the only way to take her offline is to remove some safety features and Loki says do it and nothing is caused by taking away those safety features. It's another movie reference. I guess it wasn't all 80s. This was a 90s. This is Jurassic Park. We need to reboot the system. Well, our safety systems are going to go down. Like, this is the whole discussion Samuel L. Jackson has. But yeah, is it anything else more than a joke? No, it's just like, now we got rid of Miss Minutes. Like, we can move on to the next thing. 
Yeah, that was a true mistake. Getting rid of Ravona, she should have never been there. Getting rid of Miss Minutes, to me, was severely hurtful because now there is nothing intimidating in this series at all. Except we needed that plot to fill some time, but for the last two episodes of the show, they need to focus on Loki. This is the end of the Loki series, mm-hmm. and so we need to cut the fat and get down to what's really the heart of the show, which is, as you called it, the clogged mulcher, the time loom, and Loki. And it should just be said, in the middle of all this pruning, Loki prunes himself. We finally have an answer for what that first episode sort of left vague. You know, he was walking down the hall, Sylvie poked her head out of the golden elevator, the phone was ringing, and all of a sudden he just vaporized in thin air. It's because... The Loki of the current present time is walking up to that Loki and does his own pruning. So that's, he allows, by vaporizing himself, he allows himself to come into being. It makes sense, he assures us. And I guess it makes enough sense for me. But yes, you're right. We definitely need to turn focus on Loki if this is a Loki show with only two episodes left. And yeah, the real stunner here at the end is it seems like they got everything they need and Victor puts on the spacesuit to do the walking we already saw owen wilson do it how much harder can it be well i guess there's a lot more time radiation or something outside that's what's said yep as soon as you step out onto the gangplank he is just turned into ribbons again the threads it is a shock that time is a loom in a weave (laughs) and he is now just threads floating away in space the visual effects team called it spaghetti and now mm-hmm. i can't see it as anything but the way he gets full apart that's funny because that's how i always referenced it to turn to spaghetti in my notes instead of getting yeah dusted like thanos and i guess with kang you turn into spaghetti but i did not see timely getting killed coming now i didn't see no. everybody coming back to life the next episode either but I'm like, they got rid of Renslayer, they got rid of Miss Minutes, and now they got rid of Timely? I could not believe it. It That was a real shock to me in a good way when he stepped outside and got turned to ribbons. Yeah, I agree. That is an example of something that really, like, it's a cliffhanger. What is going to happen now? The loom over loads boom it looks like everyone's been vaporized some people would have to wait a week to get an answer i waited a a night i i I took a break (laughs) and then came back to watch the last two same here it is kind of nice the way they did a smash cut to black though for the end credits there it was it did feel apocalyptic but like both of you i wasn't so invested that i'm like oh my god i have to see what happened no i waited till the next night yeah no i'm right there with you if i was watching this as it was coming out i've been like great cliffhanger i don't have a problem hanging out a week to find the conclusion and like yeah this one i waited a night yeah i mean cliffhangers are fun like it's spend some time in the ambiguity don't always rush to get the answer it's you know it's sometimes fun to just imagine again it makes you more reflective and appreciative of a show when you're hanging in the balance i wanted to know and i was tired and so i found out the next day anyway the point is that loki is back to time slipping but it seems like it is more targeted he is able to find the people in that control room in their lives on the timeline well he's not totally in control of it by the end of this episode he'll be in control of it but it seems like there is a connection, something that can be manipulated that allows him to command this as a power, as opposed to just be bouncing around randomly. 
But these are all on branches of the timeline, right? As you mentioned, there are those titles. All of these are happening on strange branches of the timeline. I guess. I didn't really pay close enough. There's a lot that happens. And, I, you know, the, again, I don't even care about Casey. So, yes, it's kind of a funny <laughs> joke that he was in Alcatraz in 1962 breaking out when Loki pops over and sees him. But keeping track of all of that, I, I wasn't doing maps. I, w- I didn't feel like I needed to do the heavy work if I were watching like a Christopher Nolan movie. Like I was just happy to go, okay, we're just riding the wave of surrealism. I was writing down dates and cities that they're putting up on the screen. That's it. Oh, okay. You were doing more work. That's usually the work I like to do, but... Wow, you're always writing everything down. That's a shock. I feel like Loki gives you permission to just enjoy it as absurdity. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. It's what I mentioned at the beginning of the show. I wish we were just popping around to Alcatraz and, you know, jet ski stores here. Like, that's fun to just have nonsense. And eventually, it should just be said that Loki, through this episode, will be able to control this power and feels connected to all these people in ways that I do not. And I don't even understand, when did Loki become so connected to B-15, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Or anyone. Does anyone care about that character? Or even like her? She's just mean. She was antagonistic. And all of a sudden, now that she's a kindly doctor in some other life, where to like her too? Well, that's my question. Like, Mobius, they set that all up that he loved jet skis. Like, it's not going to be too much of a surprise when we see his normal life. But Casey, like, you're really a criminal. Did you see him pocketing office supplies? He did have a drawer full of infinity stones. That's what I think the tease was. Yeah, I think that was the tease. That was season one. Okay. Was that Casey? I didn't even remember who that was. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't feel like B-15, that she's a kindly pediatrician. Like, I don't know. It, it This feels kind of just random. Like, they're not even jokes, really. Like, Casey feels like a joke, but B-15 doesn't. No, I again, if they had the time, or we're going to take the time, to make this an ensemble, okay, yes, we need to know who B-15 is. But this movie is going to have a big ask here by saying that Loki is friends with all of these people and that they actually orientate him. Their auras all have to come together. That's how important this friendship is. Yes, he winds up in Pasadena in 1994, where the person that can explain all of this is there. Obi has now become a wannabe self-published science fiction writer and sometimes scientist at a college, Caltech. I do love, yeah, he wants to get his PhD so he can be a credible science fiction author. And I also love because he is a science fiction author, he's like, oh yeah, no, I totally believe you, Loki. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it is actually, I feel like this is the best episode yes. of Kiwi Kwan, actually. I like his AD more than his Obi. <laughs> yeah, and I thought he had to get the PhD in order to keep teaching he's a physics teacher and so because his books aren't making any money i did love again just a moment you'd never get in a movie where we see this version of ob going to a bookstore where he has planted his own book and then (laughs) Mm. tries to buy a copy and it's not in their system so he's kicked out with all of his copies but he's been going in and trying to sneak copies of his book into the bookstore just so people will buy it and read it yeah i again i like kiwi kwan i loved him and everything uh, here i like him i mean again it's an asset and i think he's helpful in this moment because he is the one that believes loki and can guide loki on where to go that he assures him there must be a connection between all these people it's not it, it would be too coincidental that everyone you know is where you keep popping up 
with how expansive all the universes are that you keep showing up and someone there is someone that you know from the TVA. That is not a coincidence. That means something. Learn how to utilize that power allows, yeah, Loki to, yeah, I, I give structure to this really to the rest of the series and who he is. His fate is determined by the fact that he's able to find compassion for these friends. And we get this moment where Loki goes to see Sylvie, and while nobody else has known who Loki is because there are all these variants, there's only one Sylvie in the universe, in the multiverse, I guess I should say, and she's going to take Loki to a bar, and what is it you want? What is it you want? And finally he gets down to, I don't want to be alone. So yes, this is his Cheers crew, and he does not want to be alone. He wants to have his friends with him. And I wish I had a sense of how much time has passed. I know they say time doesn't exist in the TVA, but how much time has passed since Loki showed up in the TVA and now <laughs> that these became his besties? Well, here's the thing. You you say that in order to earn your bestie, Arnie, I've known you all of my life. We're talking about decades and decades. So it's an earned friendship. But sometimes I have had this experience where like you've gone through a semi-traumatic or exciting thing with strangers you can be bonded very, very quickly. I've actually, you know, it's like summer camp, right? You're crying, you're in tears, and you knew them for a week. Like, what's that about? Well, it can happen. And I think for Loki, you have to realize how traumatic it was to go from the Battle of New York to suddenly realizing he's this insignificant speck in this spectrum of time where he has no power or free will. Of course, he would bond to the people around him that are able to relate to his plight. Even Casey. Yeah. Do we like them? I mean, I guess Casey's kind of funny. Again, it's it's cute, I suppose. But deep friendships, these are not. And it is, I think, a failing of the Loki show that they did not do a better job in all 12 of these episodes endearing us to some of these characters. Ironically, I was endeared to Sylvie, but I'm not anymore. I've actually lost my love for her. She's barely in this. She's in this less than we've been talking about Loki, and I feel like she was, if not the main character, like a really high second-level protagonist in that first season, and here she's gone. Yes. Equally important. She's second build, but I don't see it. No, and I'm missing her. She's the only holdout. Everyone else is willing to come back to Pasadena and give it a try. All right, I'll I'll give up and see what you got. But she sticks to her guns and saying, McDonald's is it for me, until she realizes what she should have always realized, that what they're trying to do is stop every timeline from being destroyed. And that she does need to work with a TVA as much as she might hate them. She realizes, as we should all realize, how important the Velvet Underground are as she's listening to them as yeah. that record store spaghettis. Though, I put it on the IMDb goofs. Oh, sweet nothing. That is the final track on the B-side, not the first one. She drops that needle right at the beginning. <laughs> oh, look at you. That is quite literally a deep cut. Okay. Please, it's Velvet Underground. I know my Velvet Underground. <laughs> Yeah, I see this. And yes, it is It is a nice moment of music and image pairing well together. Like, like I said, I don't need it for it to all make sense. I want to feel something. I want to feel taken to a strange and exciting place, which this show has done on multiple occasions. This is just a really evocative moment that she's sitting there in a record store, not realizing that the clerk she loves is turning into ribbons, that everything that she loves is turning into 
spaghetti. It's a great visual. I do love it when it happens here in the record store and the record store clerk is running to her and everything is turning to spaghetti around her. It just looks so cool. I mean, you say that these Disney Plus shows don't have the money for the action, but they certainly do have some visual spectacle. Yeah, what I'm saying is that they're not good for yeah martial arts and large-scale destruction, but yeah, they definitely, yeah, the best of them have imagery, you know, they, they know how to create a moment. And the way that she just is resigned, she creates that time door seconds before she's swallowed by the spaghetti. She knows she has no other, quite literally, there's no other place to go but Pasadena and to join the crew and get spaghetti there. I mean, that's the real surprise of this episode <laughs> is that the team's all together. They're supposed to be able to figure out from their connectedness how to get back to a place that's outside of time. Well, they don't have that opportunity because I think Frank did steal the temp pad, right? Okay, so you do think it was Casey who took that temp pad. <laughs> because I wondered again, is this he who remains? Like he came from the future and stole it. Like this is all of his plan, but we never get a reveal that anyone took that. No, no. I think just the way that they played you know he's frank and on the timeline but casey in the tva yes i think that his sticky fingers got the better of him and yeah they even if he had it though there wouldn't have been too much time to get to where they needed to no so tell me this so this whole time we've been told this thing there's a fiction problem by ob that it's not about how this works even though they've given us a lot of techno babble but it's about the why why do you want this to happen that's the story when you get into stories it's about the why and motivations things we've been talking about here a lot of times lacking but Loki realizes, oh, it's about who, and to me, it appears he looks directly at the camera, like this is a breaking the fourth wall moment, mm. and is like looking out to the audience. I don't know how, if it came off that way to you, but it definitely looked like, oh, it's about who, and that who is maybe him, because now he's like recognizing he's a fictional piece of work staring back at us. Oh, I thought you were going a different way with it. That it was us? Yeah, that, he, oh, I'm doing this for an audience, that I care about everyone on the planet. So here's the thing, this whole story, and, and maybe I got to look into who wrote this stuff, but this feels, I know we're talking about Marvel, this feels like a very DC concept to me. Whenever they deal with their multiverse, like, it's understood that, like, oh, no, we're just fiction to people who are reading our stories, and, like, it's very self-aware, and you typically don't get that in a Marvel. They try to play it more straight, like, no, this is just our universe that people live in. So, yeah, I thought this was a really interesting moment that they're, you know, we're used to Deadpool making jokes and breaking the fourth wall, but I don't know. This was a neat moment. I couldn't wait to see how it got wrapped up with Loki acknowledging us out there. I did not feel that he broke the fourth wall, but now that you've said that, I want to go back and watch that scene. I think you're on to something, is what I'm saying. But yes, what is interesting about this moment is that this is the very moment when he loses everything that he realizes that he needs them. That he has always been a very selfish person that wanted power and control for himself alone right? Not to share a throne. He resented his brother, his family, all of it. You know, he was an orphan. He really was an adopted child at that. So he always had this isolationist attitude. And now that they're literally all vaporized from him, this is the moment where he takes control because he realizes he does not want to lose them. That's the metaphor that I'm extracting from why he's suddenly able to do it. Yeah. He says, I can rewrite the story. Yes. I could go anywhere that I want, including a few seconds before the system overloads, and try to fix it. And this last episode becomes 
well, I think a remake of Groundhog Day, where he's going to yes. try everything <laughs> until he does the only thing that he can do. Oh, boy. Yeah. Groundhog Day is not where I saw this going. Loki becoming a expert in <laughs> physics is not where I saw this going. This series takes me on a ride for sure. Because I enjoy the pace and the editing of the last episode, but wow, did I not see where this was all going to end up. You can't say you're not surprised by all of this. Yeah, I mean, that it's quite ambitious that, you know, at first he just tries to move things along. If the problem is the radiation is building up by the point Victor steps out, it's too great. He has to go out there hours or minutes beforehand. At first, he's just talking faster, right? Auctioneer <laughs> language. Let's get through this. I'll shove you into the suit. Move, move, move. It ultimately is that he has to know the science and beat OB to creating it. Yeah, it's an extravagant thought that he's going to spend, I don't know how many eons it would take for me to learn physics. I know that I, I failed in high school. You'd have to take breaks, right? Like, you know, <laughs> especially if you're Loki. I don't know what Norse gods do for fun, but I would guess it's study physics, go to some orgies, go back studying physics. Yeah, you you think a few, few thousand million times you let the universe end because he wanted a break because he's like, he could come back and fix it all. I do love at one point because they had to do this whole sequence where they locked out and rebooted Miss Minutes and I guess that added time. So I love he just jumps back and like apologizes to her and, and asks for her help. Mm hmm. Yeah. Again, two things are happening here. One, they're trying to get the the doodad into the loom, which is the, <laughs> you know, the, the science part of it. And you're seeing the character trying to connect and understand uh, the people around. This is him trying to understand OB is the way that I recognize it. I want to know how you think and what you what, truly where you spend your time in your mind by learning what he's learned. He's connected to him in a new profound way. And we'll see him kind of do that with other characters. He's going to go to Sylvie and try to talk her out of killing he who remains at that pivotal moment in the Citadel. I'm not sure why she won't stop. I'm not sure why she can't be rational. That is one question because she's a god too. So I don't know. I feel like she should be able to experience similar time stuff as Loki. Yes. Can't he explain what he's gone through and why this is... Yeah. Detrimental. Can't she not kill him? That part confused me, but I just accept the idea. Like so much of this season. <laughs> yes. That she will never accept him for whatever reason. She'd rather everything blow up than let him live. I, Which is, again, it's illogical. So it, I have a hard time with it. Yeah. It really doesn't work for me that this is how it has to end up going for her. That it's kill her or he who remains dies and that we've said repeatedly we don't feel the love story in this season so i don't know why loki doesn't make the hard decision to kill her i thought that might happen yeah she says it so many times that they're fighting you're gonna have to kill me to stop me i'm like okay that's gonna be the decision like do i kill her to let the lesser evil happen i think just to jump ahead a little bit for him to be able to take the throne and be the kind of god that he wants to be he can't kill her I, he won't and i understand the choice that he does it but yes the pragmatic me and certainly the trickster god that i've known in any other episode of the show would have made that decision so it's quite different that he can't kill her that is a surprise we also, he has a moment where he tries to bond. He goes back to the interrogation with Mobius. I'm not sure what 
he gets out of this moment of talking with him again, but they go back to the theater and Mobius tells him a story about how he wasn't able to prune an eight-year-old boy, but Ravona was. I think it gets down to, again, having that sympathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mobius is a good guy and he didn't kill someone. So for Loki to be the good guy, he can't kill Sylvie. There's something there. I agree. I'm not. Uh, sometimes it's hand wavy. Abstract, Stuart. Abstract. Abstract. I'm <laughs> loving this word because it's how I'm connecting and not connecting with these ideas. But yes, in the end, he decides there's only one way to do this. You know, like, and one thing that's interesting, it, it should be said that in first season, uh, there's a moment where Loki turned to Sylvie and says, is what's being a Loki always being doomed to failure? Is that what being a Loki is? And it seems like what he's doing is confirming that, right? The universe is telling him, no matter what you do, you will fail. But there is a path. And what I kind of love is, it's the path that he's always wanted. He always wanted the throne. And now he's going to have to take it. It's a responsibility instead of this mad power grab. Yeah, that's my question. Is this the equivalent of you catch your child smoking, so you lock him in a room with 50 cartons that they have to smoke? Like, mm -hmm. his whole thing is he's the narcissist. Is he just embracing his narcissism at the end here? And like, fine, I, I think I'm the center of the universe. I will literally be <laughs> the center of the universe. I mean, maybe you could frame it that way. I, I, I think it's much more mature. I mean, the way I see it is I can be a god now because I care about people. Before, I only cared about myself, and now I realize how much I care about others. That is the thing that gets him to godhood, is realizing that it would have to be about everyone else, because he's just going to be sitting on a chair for the rest of eternity. And we had that moment in episode five, where Sylvie is trying to get to the heart of Loki and saying, what do you want? What do you want? And when it finally all comes out, what Loki wants most is to not be alone. And the sacrifice he's going to make is that he's going to be alone for eternity in exchange for allowing untold billions of beings to live in alternate timelines. But he's also like kind of not alone because he's like Jesus. He's everywhere. I agree with that. It's more complicated than that. Yes, he will in this climax tell Victor, I, you're not going out there. I'm going out there. Again, I think he could have made that earlier and <laughs> even no one had to go out there because don't forget he can make things levitate. But anyway, the point is he goes out there, the spacesuit rips off. We get the classic Loki with the horned helmet and all of that. And he essentially ascends a throne. And again, keep in mind from the very first time we knew him, this was the dream. This was the thing driving him was to have power by myself. I don't think he is by himself because he cares about all the strands now. And that's kind of how I take this kind of woozy 2001, you know, surrealistic <laughs> ending here where he turns the loom into a tree or whatever. No, I mean, that's Norse mythology, the tree. And, and I love this. Yeah, you call it this, this moment of surreality where, yeah, the, the horned helmet grows on him. You think he's going to do something evil. And this feels like, I don't know, maybe there's some Thor comic I'm not thinking of. But this feels like something out of the comics, like Loki sitting on his throne with a, the robes of the multiverse draped on him. It just feels like something out of comics. 
it also feels like Marvel get in touch with me. We, we can work something out. Like, yeah, to have Iron Man wake up and he's like, I thought I was in the 616, but I just realized I'm in the Loki verse all along. Like, there's so many weird concepts you could go with. Like, what does it mean for Loki to be controlling the universe? Like, I almost want, yeah, maybe an animated series would be the way to go. But I do love just this idea and the way it's executed. Again, it's it's a very abstract idea, and I love the way they kind of try to visualize it on the screen. Except Loki isn't really controlling anything because the whole thing that he learned from Sylvie is that it's about free will. He's powering it. Yeah, he's a human battery or a god battery. And let me just say, I don't understand exactly what happens at this final ending. He destroys the loom and we found out because he went back and had a conversation with He Who Remains and they have another tete-a-tete. And He Who Remains reveals that the TVA can be destroyed and rebuilt, who gives a crap, but the loom was built to protect the sacred timeline above all else. But when the loom is destroyed, all these timelines start to die. I don't understand why the timelines are dying without the loom, because I thought the loom was there to destroy the timelines, and Loki is bringing timelines back to life. Because, Arnie, because the loom is needed. That's why. I ended up having to go and read articles that I hate. Those clickbaity, the end of Loki season two explained. Now, don't overthink this. That's usually my job. (laughs) Yeah, and they're not always right. I mean, I've read more than one of those and gone, well, that's one interpretation. Yeah, and... I still don't quite understand why timelines are dying with the loom gone and that would the sacred timeline have been destroyed too? Would it have been a apocalypse of all existence if Loki hadn't made the sacrifice? Yeah, I think we've seen that over and over when we went to black at the end of that one episode. Like everything dies if you don't maintain some kind of timeline. Yes. If the loom blows, yes. Yes. If you don't have a loom, it all goes away. If you have the loom... All time branches die except the sacred timeline. But with Loki, he has brought them. I guess it's not an infinite timeline anymore because, again, this techno babble. But they say the timelines infinitely multiply forever. I guess that's stopped and there's just a finite amount, but it's the one that Loki resurrected? Or not. Or why isn't it forever? It's a tree. It grows forever. Sure. I think it's pretty simple, really. I hear you wrestling correctly with how grandiose the implications are but the idea is real simple he now sits where the loom was Mm -hmm. yeah i got that i will do the job of the loom and i do it with more compassion the greenness the color which used to mean envy and his you know jealousy now has this earthy like i bring life to things and nobody dies except when they actually die because you, everyone dies, but eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. The debate he had been having with Sylvie is Sylvie wants to just let it all burn. And his whole point was, I hate some of the speeches he gives, but like, what if there's hope? What if the hope is that there's something better? And that is up to him to prove. And I, in a very abstract way, I'm guessing he has built, rebuilt the loom, rebuilt the multiverse in a better way. It like, yeah, there's not that pruning going on anymore. It can all live now because of him. We do get a snapshot. We have this after epilogue in which we at least see the lives on the timeline, the same timeline, I believe, of all of the major characters. B-15, who saw this coming? She's running the TVA? I guess. I don't think she's running it. She's running the War Council. But that one judge, not Judge Docs, but the other judge, is still there. I think she's in charge. 
I, I thought I saw Docs back too. I, I thought they somehow all came back, but maybe not. You know, I I'm not going back to look. But B15 <laughs> was not a character that I thought much about. I guess the difference is she used to wear like armor and like she was very aggressive in the early episodes. And now that we've seen that she could be a doctor and heal broken arms and all that, we can presume that she's going to be a kinder influence in the TVA. Except she's on the War Council keeping track of the Kangs and being prepared for the major battle that's coming up. I think the TVA has a new job and it's protecting all the timelines from the Kangs instead of pruning the timelines. Yes. Right. Yeah. And it's mentioned only one has caused problems so far, and that might be the one from Quantumania? That's the Ant-Man one? Yeah, it says it's in 616 adjacent. So I think they're saying that the MCU is called the 616 universe, and that little quantum realm they went to was the 616 adjacent Mm -hmm. place where Kang caused a problem. Yeah, that's how I took it. Yeah, that's how I read it as well. And, And thus... Maybe there won't be a Kang storyline in the future. This could be the end of that. Could be the end of Jonathan Majors. I mean, if if Loki could be a Sylvie, Jonathan Majors could be a different actor. <laughs> I don't know. The whole gimmick was that the variants are all the same actor. And that, that while they're dressed differently, you recognize them as the same thing because it's the same face. We've had two different roadies. We could have two different Kangs. Uh, you don't want two different Kangs. You want consistency here. Here's a character that really does need to look the same every time. It's going to be real weird to just drop this entire storyline. I'm not saying they're going to do it. Would it, though? Would it? I mean, I could make a YouTube video about all the dangling and dropped threads in the MCU that have happened since Endgame. I mean, are we still sitting around waiting for Blade and Jon Snow? Yes, they're all coming together, Arnie. Look, is Man-Thing and Werewolf by Night coming back? I don't know, but I feel like you've set up for some pretty significant plot threads with Kang here. Eh, I actually don't. I actually don't. I've What I felt is we've been prepped for it by the things that Marvel has told us, including naming the Avengers the Kang Dynasty in 2026. But guess what? A lot of what they've been planning isn't working and they're retooling things. And maybe it is wise to make Kang go away. It's, it's an excellent stopping point, given that this man may go to jail and... Yes, there's going to be a full year before we get any real MCU movies again. Yeah, great time to reboot the X-Men. I don't know why they haven't done it yet. But you know what? A lot of this may still get cleared up this summer. There are rumors that Owen Wilson is returning to the MCU as Mobius in Deadpool 3. I don't know if that counts. (laughs) I definitely feel like that. When I saw some of these characters, the fact that they don't have anything for Sylvie to do and like she's just there going, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like, well, then you're obviously coming back in another show in another way (laughs) because you don't leave a character like that. You want to put a button on something if this is the last time you ever see them. And the fact that, yes, both Owen Wilson and her don't really have a place on the timeline yet leads me to believe that they'll find one in a Disney Plus show or an MCU movie, still to be worked out. Yeah, it keeps them open just in case. In the meantime, I don't know if we'll get Kiwi Kwan again, but it is notable that the cover of the TVA manual that he wrote is different. And that is because no TVA manual was dropped through the window of young Victor, right? That this is the one that he actually wrote, as opposed to one that was created by a time loop. 
Yeah, it says it's the second edition, so I think it's really updating based upon how things are different in the TVA now. You know, the first book is old history. It does not apply to what the TVA is anymore, and so he wrote this second edition of it on his own. And, you know, it was one of the things in season one was once you got pruned, you didn't actually die. You didn't actually vaporize. You went to some weird realm where this cloud monster named Elioth chased you. Ravona? That they don't show here. Well, again, you'd have to... Thank God I watched season one again, or I really wouldn't have understood what had happened to her. But yes, that's where she's at, and maybe she can hang out with Alligator Loki and Richard E. Grant (laughs) and all those great Lokis. I wanted to be in season two, but... We're not. And as for Loki himself, Tom Hiddleston did come out after the season finale aired and thanked the fans for, uh, what was it, 14 years of this character being part of his life and saying goodbye to the character, implying this is the end of Hiddleston's journey as Loki. And then the next day he came out and kind of issued a correction and said, yeah, but I've said goodbye to Loki several times before he was supposed to die in the dark world. And then they decided at the last minute to give an end stinger that he survived. And so he never knows what Marvel Studios has planned. Maybe they'll call him back, but dot, dot, dot. Here, here's my question. Go look up the YouTube video for ending explained because again, breaking that fourth wall, I feel like Loki, he's sitting on his throne. He's looking straight straight out to us and he just looks kind of bored like i couldn't figure out what hiddleston's look was supposed to convey well to me it was a look of resignment and again if the episode is called glorious purpose he has the thing that he always wanted but it doesn't mean what he thought it was going to be and so instead of being the smiling impish loki the mischievous guy who has all the powers and is going to gloat you see someone to me compassionate, caring, who's taking his job very seriously and is being pretty selfless about it. I took it as, yeah, he was contented. I took it not as boredom, but as fulfillment that he had reached his end. I mean, he always wanted to be a capital G God, and now he is. Even if he had to make some personal sacrifices, I mean, in Avengers, he had that great line, I am burdened with glorious purpose, and Mobius is going to say to him, there's a lot more burden than glory with purpose sometimes, and that's what we see here. I thought it was a nice end for the character. But I kind of know what you mean. At the same time, Jacob, I will admit, you studied this in (laughs) film class. There was a Russian uh, editing experiment where they had an actor give no expression. And then they would sometimes cut in like pictures of food. And people would be like, look at the way he portrays hunger. They'd cut in a woman. (laughs) like, Look at how he shows his love for the woman. It's a flat reading. It is a sphinx. What does Loki think? What does he feel? Maybe we are to never know. But because... That expression has been put at the end of this episode. I take it to mean that he is, yes, uh, become who he always wanted to be. It just means something different than what he thought when he was younger. So Jacob Stewart, do you recommend season two of Loki? Jacob. I think I would have liked it a lot more if it was two episodes and just came at the end of what we saw in season one i guess if COVID didn't happen but yeah a lot of good things would have happened if COVID didn't happen so but there are things i enjoy about it and like 
this series being so abstract, like what I enjoy, I found kind of to be abstract, like just looking at, yeah, th- this as Loki's story of ascension to godhood. I, I, again, I love when they turn him into that tree that the Norse mythology gets into and like all the realms and all that. Like, I thought that was cool imagery. And just to think of this as like a modern day myth making about like, yeah, what, what is the story of a god and how a god becomes a god? And like, yeah, now it's all filtered through weird comic book characters and all that, but I did find that like it is a modern day mythology about a god ascending to godhood. I don't know. It's weird. It, it's got that wackiness of everything everywhere all at once and also some of those same problems where like just a, there's a lot of jargon to get into that I'm not always following. But because I liked the debate that Loki and Sylvie were having, even though it was never really at the forefront about what do you do with this system? You know, one of the things I liked about the first season was I, I thought it was kind of edgy for a Disney series to kind of go, oh, you you thought there were gods controlling everything? No, they're just animated Muppets and we're, we're going to cut their heads off and there's no one in control or maybe the person in control is evil. Like, you know, you could call it Wizard of Oz. I felt it was a little bit more mature. And here again, dealing with once you've maybe shed those old traditions, you know, what do you do with that new outlook on life? Do you become apathetic and destructive, maybe like Sylvie? So I thought interesting stuff there that kind of kept me going, even though it was never the full focus of this series. This this series, yeah, I again, four episodes of Phil and then two kind of interesting episodes. So that's where I land. But because it held my attention, I would have come back week after week after week if I needed to. Uh, Yeah, it's a good capper to season one. Like watch them all together as one thing. Pretend there wasn't years in between them. Like watch Loki seasons one and two. It's a recommend. Stuart. Yeah, I think season two brings the Loki character to a really nice closure. They do a really impressive job of taking this god of mischief who always wanted the power that he has at the end. He arrives where he always thought he would be, but the irony of the fact that he had to go through this journey of disillusionment and feeling of failure and feeling connected to people before he had the right to wear the crown. That feels correct. And this series largely dramatizes that. Now, my complaints... For this are the same as many Disney Plus shows. They don't have enough story to justify all the episodes. I think is something I've said almost every time. That yes, this is stretched out. It could have been done in three, maybe even two hours. It should have been part of one season. There shouldn't have been a season one and two. It in a related problem. I also think there's less to discover. Because we already had one season to learn the TVA, it's just not as magical and crazy and head-spinning to come back here. There's just not as much fun to be had because we're just not going to anywhere new. It's wrapping up something old instead of taking us in a new direction. And yeah, the action set pieces are always lame. This is not as big a problem as something like Ms. Marvel, but yeah, when we have a fight with General Docs in the Rebellion, and it just looks like people in a room on wires, lame. It's not working. Those are my quibbles. My genuine problem with this season, the reason why I think it is lesser than season one, is because they just didn't endear me to any of the supporting characters. That Loki is good in the Loki show, but Kiwi Kwan is not special, you know, is coasting on what he did in the other movie, that the Sylvie love story has gone away, that Jonathan Majors never becomes a major threat, that Ms. Minutes, who I think would be a good villain, is just underutilized. And 
I never understand Ravona. I never get why we should care about B-15, Casey, X-5, even Owen Wilson, who I genuinely like. It's goodwill from a lot of Wes Anderson films. I don't feel like his jet ski salesman tugs my heartstrings. You didn't like seeing him deal with his pyrotechnic sons that are out of control. I don't know. I kind of felt for him as being that single dad. The supporting characters don't move me. And that is a problem here specifically because they're the ones that are supposed to teach Loki not to be so selfish. And if I don't love these characters, I don't really know why Loki loves these characters. But this is, you know, a Loki show. And the point is, if if all it had to do was put a button on the good work that Tom Hiddleston did for the MCU, I've come around. I want to remind folks, didn't like this actor, didn't like this character. I now think because of this series, he is great. He would make a really good Doctor Who. He kind of is Marvel's Doctor Who. And I really enjoyed watching him go through this process. He's at his most charming and dramatically interesting in these 12 episodes. So I recommend it for him. And I had to really kind of chew over this question of, do I recommend Loki season two? And like you, Jacob, it's kind of hard to separate Loki season two from Loki season one. And it does feel of a whole. Don't watch this without watching season one. (laughs) No, no. And I did recommend Loki season one. And then my problem again is that so much of the time of this, if I were to transcribe these episodes or find the subtitles files online and read them, I feel like I would be reading so much about temporal auras and temporal radiation and all kinds of gobbledygook that maybe it has a basis in real physics. I'm not a physicist. I'm not able to follow what they're talking about here and not enough on character. And yet I had a good time watching this because I feel like there are strong performances being given right across the board. Unlike you, Stuart, I've liked Loki ever since Avengers, not since the first Thor. You can go back and listen to that review. I didn't think Loki was very good in that first Thor movie, but I thought Joss Whedon really brought something to that character that's made him a favorite of mine ever since. But he's at his best here, right? No, no. But this show does give him more dimension than he's ever been able to have before. My favorite Hiddleston performance as Loki is probably in the first Avengers film, and the second best is probably Thor Ragnarok, where we actually got to see him have a turn of character in there. But this has given him so much more to chew on, so much more to do. We've gotten to spend literally more time with Loki, and Hiddleston has been able to create a fully realized character that is more than ever before. But he's surrounded by game supporting players. Again, at the very top of this podcast, I complimented Owen Wilson and Kihi Kwan, and even the others like Casey and B-15, who I don't care so much about, are good on screen. And yeah, Jonathan Majors is Victor Timely. I enjoyed quite a bit watching on screen. So I'm going to give this a weak recommend. I don't feel it's as good as season one. I feel like there's too many pruned subplots like Renslayer and Miss Minutes. I feel like there's too much Technobabble. 
But I feel like there's enough here that I had a good time watching it and it's a satisfying conclusion to season one. It's impossible for me to separate my feelings of season one from season two. Like Jacob said, don't try to just watch season two. This is not one to come in on midway through and think you can just pick up. But yeah, I think together they do make a fairly satisfying whole. And if this is the last time we ever see Hiddleston put on the big green horn helmet, then it is a satisfying conclusion for that character. Recommend. And if you're interested in other sagas that are coming to conclusion, at least Dune Book 1 will be finished. Next week, we're going to get the second chapter of what Denis Villeneuve started, what, a couple of years ago? Around the same time as Loki Season 1, we're getting... Chapter two, the rest of that story. I'm excited. So excited. By the way, hold your hats. I'm bringing back the old books and nacho shows as now playing book review. We're going to cover those other three Frank Herbert novels I did not cover back in the day, starting this week. God, Emperor of Dune. I swear to God, it's coming. Yeah, you said you were so excited that you were doing something. I thought you were going to tell me you bought the AMC popcorn bucket. I would not even know what that is. It looks like something from an adult toy store. Oh, okay. (laughs) Now he's interested. (laughs) Yeah, now, okay. It's a sandworm that you put your hand in the toothy mouth to pull out your popcorn. Or other things. Mm, mm. See, I thought I would have gone a different way with it. You know, they have the the pain box, reach your hand in the box and, you know, (laughs) don't pull it out. That might be a fun, fun way to market this movie. Anyway, yeah, Dune Chapter 2 on game. I want to see it. Book review this week. Next Tuesday, we review the new movie that's unspooling in IMAX as we speak. And this Friday, if you are a supporter of Now Playing at the Gold Level, our buddy cop movies continue This buddy cop pairing is man and best friend dog with Turner and Hooch. Yeah, that's an inevitable one, right? There was a couple of these. Belushi had one and... Same year. Yeah, Chuck Norris would be partnered with a dog. So many times (laughs) cops get partnered with animals. And so, yeah, let's see the most profitable one of the 80s. Tom Hanks at the peak of his comedic form right after Big and some big slobbery mastiff or something are going to solve a crime. We'll see how it goes. So that is available if you are a now playing podcast supporter of $25 or more through our Patreon or Podbean crowdfunding sites or a direct donation to us. You can find the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Again, we are a show with no sponsors, with no ads. We didn't have to stop in the middle of Loki to talk about foot itch or something completely irrelevant and pretend that we suffer from this malady and pretend that we use Dr. Squatch soap or something. I mean, we talk about Manscaped and how I shape my pubes. We did talk about McDonald's (laughs) a lot, but that was within the context. That was within the realm of what we're reviewing. Yes. (laughs) I'm not advocating you eat the chicken McNuggets. You said you're loving it. I did. I even (laughs) sang the damn song. So maybe maybe you're lying to the people, (laughs) Arnie. Maybe you are getting some payola you're not sharing with us, Stuart. (laughs) Bye-bye-bye-bye-bye. You're stealing it. (laughs) But... As far as I know, the only way that this show continues to go on without any ads and without us talking about manscaping, because let's face it, (laughs) you don't want us talking about manscaping, but is through listener support. And you can help our show keep going at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash 
donate. Thank you sincerely for your support. No jokes. I love doing this podcast with these guys, and if it wasn't for listener support, we wouldn't be able to. So thank you for allowing us to do what we love doing so much. It's all about the friends, right? Let's (laughs) keep that orientated. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me, and we will be back in the future when the Avengers Assemble! Thank you for listening to this episode in the now-playing Avengers Retrospective Series. Lucky for us, we got the best seats in the house. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Head to NowPlayingPodcast.com to hear reviews of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. From Iron Man to Guardians of the Galaxy to Endgame, we've reviewed every Marvel film at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Good luck keeping up. And while at our website, you can find reviews of other Marvel movies, including the Fox X-Men, Deadpool, Daredevil, and Fantastic Four films, New Line Cinema's Blade Trilogy, The Punisher movies, Sony's Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, and Venom films, and dozens more. I'm bringing the party to you. You can also find reviews of every DC Comics movie, plus hundreds of other movie reviews of series like A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Fast and the Furious, Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park, and more. Find over 1,000 in-depth movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Subscribe to Now Playing on your podcast app of choice and get an all-new movie review every single week. We're gonna knock their socks off. Want even more Now Playing reviews? By being a Now Playing patron or donor, you can get two reviews each week. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. Now Playing is an independent podcast without any sponsors or ads. We rely on listener support to keep our show going. Are you going to step up or not? Donate to our show, and as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Supporters get perks including bonus podcasts every Friday. And you can even pick a movie for us to review and join us on the podcast. We need heroes. We need you. Find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. It's a small price to pay for salvation. You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash now playing to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. It's strange. Maybe. Who wants to judge? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Well, multi platform global operation. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's pretty good at that, right? Now playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. <gasps> you he are. just did it again. You're the this is my voice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts. 
and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. You left out some important information, but that is the gist of it. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. On behalf of the Time Variance Authority, I hereby arrest you for crimes against the sacred timeline. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2023, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? I've got so many more stories to tell. The characters have to turn to the screen and go blah, 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 blah. When I just rather be in the weirdness of it. I agree. I agree. There's so. (laughs) Who wants to agree more? I'll let you go, Arnie. I, wow. I I feel like this is his own show, so I won't ask follow-up questions, but what the F? Okay. (laughs) McDonald's is hip. They team up with like indie rappers and stuff now and do like crossover McNugget boxes and stuff. It's crazy the stuff McDonald's does. Well, they did a special Loki flavored dipping sauce too, so. Okay. All right. (laughs) What does it taste like? Is it green? (laughs) Apparently it was their sweet and sour sauce in new packaging, but... Oh, boring. Mmm, that sounds like McDonald's, doesn't it? (laughs) It's the same old shit with a different label. Okay, (laughs) got it. Did she always know that? Because I thought she believed in the the Chuck E. Cheese timekeepers that were exposed. She did, but then Morbius showed her the truth of it. Mobius. Mobius, not Morbius. That's a different Marvel character. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Yeah. Different uh, sci-fi franchise. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And we will be back in the future when the Avengers Assemble! I have absolutely no segue into that anymore because there are no (laughs) Avengers. They're all dead.